Welcome to Radio Watson, the talk show discussing movies, music, film, and games, and all things pop culture. I'm your host, Buddy Watson, and today we've got a massive episode. We've got Radio Watson's top 20 films of 2022, and how we've come about that list. And that countdown is compiling my individual list here with the person who's joining me once again is one day recluse, Paulie B. Paulie, how you going, mate? I'm good, man. How are you? I am very good. Um, excited to be here, where it's uh, almost hearkening back to the old review culture days. We've got the uh, in-person setup. We've got the the panel here, the old school shitty dynamic mics that are very low quality, but will somehow get us through this podcast. So they, um, they work. Yeah, things are like held together with duct tape. The monitor over here, everything happening. So um, yeah, it uh, this could be anything right now i'm sure it will be (laughs) uh and it will be so yeah fantastic um basically how we've compiled the list uh we've combined my 16 top movies and paul's 16 top movies and we've given them a score each uh obviously movie uh, movie of the year or our film of the year number one is uh given the maximum of 16 points number two 15 and vice versa all the way back down to where number 16 gets one point um favorably it it worked out it was supposed to just be like our top 15 lists but we added them together and took the screenshot and they included 16 movies and between those two sets of 16 films 32 films uh and those points it has given us 20 movies exactly so uh i definitely wasn't expecting that but it worked out perfectly it did work out perfectly uh that's your system of doing things (laughs) what's your system of doing things then how would I do it? Yeah, how would you do it? I think I would do like a sort of a survivor vote vote off. Like if we compiled all 32 and then we had to vote off. You know what I mean? Like one by one. So it's kind of like... Uh, like either yay or nay. We go down the list. Boom. Is it in or is it out? Yeah. Wow. Okay. And then if it's out, it's gone. But then is it kind of like... But there's only two of us. So it would be yes and no all the time and it wouldn't work. I know. Well, that's exactly why I've compiled this list. Yeah, no, that's why we did it your way. (laughs) You've done it my way, not um, complete archaic. Uh, For the people that don't know you at home, Paul, you're a a massive uh, film fan. You've studied film. Um, Yeah, you've. How many films did you watch last year uh, in total? And how many 2020 films do you reckon you've seen? Uh, I think I did over 100 2022 films. And I did uh, 400 movies last year. I do about 400 a year. Those are the numbers. You got to. Those are. You want to be a big guy in the big leagues? You got to get those numbers. You're an absolute animal, and um, I'm just sitting here lonely. My goal at the start of the year was to get past uh, 100, which I think the previous year I got to 80. So um, I got to 120 this year, which is a lot more than what I thought I was going to do. Right. And in total, I think I saw 53 films in the cinema, which is that's pretty big. That's big. That's impressive for me. Like a lot of the other, There's a lot of going to the cinemas. We or... did. You did power hard through October. There was like a week at the end of October where you just see like eight films, nine films. Yeah, and that will definitely be rep- represented in our list. Of course, um, last October we had the benefit and privilege of going to BIF, uh, Brisbane International Film Festival, and uh, saw nine or so movies across those. So a lot of those will feature now. Um, a lot of those movies that will kind of only just had release dates or are about to be released that are come up probably you know nominated for oscars and, and kind of things so um it'd be, it'd be exciting to talk about those films and uh some other stuff that uh probably everyone has seen later on in the year um pretty pretty diverse list and a pretty pretty good list in total if i if i do say so myself so um but before we kind of jump into it uh paul 2022 in film uh how, how do you think it was as, as a total in comparison to other years so it was pretty big, uh, a big year, big year. Like obviously pandemic 
changed everything. We had a really, really quiet year, 2020, 21, everybody's sort of coming back. Some things get pushed, some things, you know, get made during a pandemic. Uh, quiet, two quiet years. Now, I think 2019 might be my, I personally, I think is like one of the best years for film that I've been alive for. Because that year you had The Irishman, you had uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you had Portrait of a Lady on Fire, like you had The Lighthouse, you had your favorite film, Jojo Rabbit. (laughs) (laughs) I hate that film. (laughs) I hate that film. I just just didn't like it as much as everyone else did. Right, yeah. You had Little Women. Like It was fantastic. 2019 was the year of like big dicks on the table, like everybody swinging yes. hard, like Scorsese getting back with De Niro and, and Pesci and Al Pacino, like just amazing year. And then like the following years, of course, because the world was collapsing, uh, you didn't have any sort of follow-up. And this is the the year since all that's happened that it's kind of like, okay, we're back to, there's some big swings this year. There's some big stuff. There's some crazy, you know, uh, legacy sequels that were amazing and there's some awesome like directorial debuts Mm -hmm. that were just astounding so it was a big year i thought i agree um and once again just looking kind of over at our list and how like varied it was and how diverse it was in certain kind of titles um i thought was a, a good spread and not just that i've seen more movies from a calendar year this year than i had in previous years but i felt like the quality was very high like I feel like there was very few things that were super bad or disappointing um, to myself. And there was a lot of mid stuff at worst, uh, but then some very like the top heavy stuff was like really good. It's almost hard to kind of differentiate between what my favorite movie was going to be because there was so many good stuff and so many things that were kind of that I enjoyed for different reasons. Like I've I've got a, a comedy on my list. Uh, you know, I've got blockbusters on my list. You've got indie darlings. You've got all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. Is your list compiled? Like, how do you do your list? Do you just wait till we get to this point of the year where we start talking about the list and then you sit down and put it together? Because mm-hmm. mine is a, at the start of every year, I start the list. It's empty. Boom. It sits there on letterbox, letterbox private. Mm. And then as the year goes by, I go, boom, you're in. Okay, you're the first one in. And then something else comes along, and ah, yeah, maybe you're number two, maybe for now. And then the end of the year, everything sort of shifts. And then when we come to like compiling this list for something like this, and then you have a long, hard look, and like, all right, all right, you know, Batman, you got to drop out of number one. There's there's some other ones that might do a bit better. That you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> no, not really. I don't have a like ongoing running list that's like this is in there and then i see this movie and then that goes above it like i am a man of systems so that would make sense for someone like me but i kind of just get a vibe of like when i walk out of the movies or uh the cinema i'm like kind of turn and just go it's like yeah i think that was my i think that's my favorite film of the year or holy shit that was amazing or fine and, and then certain <laughs> films kind of just sit with you and then when i sit down to kind of kind of compile this list and think about it um they're usually the ones the memories of like okay well that crushed me or like that wowed me or i saw that three times or god damn that was the best cinema experience i had or i can't stop thinking about this movie even though i don't want to watch it again because it's just going to destroy me so um i think it's just a feeling at the end of the year or whenever we get to compiling the list like i kind of in the back of my head kind of like know what's going to be 
mm-hmm. there. It's subconscious. Like you, you're working it out, but it's working out yeah, back it's, here. It's, it's working out. It's, it's, it's doing itself. It, it is. It's, it's in. It's in the back. It's in the in the backlog. So, um, yeah, it just kind of sorts itself out. It's crazy that you're going off vibes like that because that's not you. Yeah, I that's know. me. But I just organ like we switch places in this <laughs> entire thing, I, you know. I sort the list by twenty twenty movies, and then I look at them, and I've already ranked them in a letterbox, right? So I already have that tool. So do you, do you, when you sit there to make that list, are you like what I gave it when I logged it? That's it, or can that change based upon your feelings when you're looking at them in a list? Where you're like, all right, you're not a five and a half or anymore. You're a four now that I'm putting you against these other five and a halfers. Potentially, not like reevaluation on that sense, but maybe reevaluation in the sense that maybe like one of them that's coming up in the list. I'm going to spoil it, right? It's going, it's going to be in there. You don't know where it's going to be though. It's After Sun and how I walked out of the film uh, in that that very point of time, and then the amount of clips I've seen since then, uh, and that have kind of like whether it's been on social media or stuff that I've seen. You know, by by YouTube, or just kind of revisiting like little parts like that, and that have kind of like hit me more, or revisiting that's like like pulled an emotion out, like I didn't think about it, or reading about it, or something like that. It's kind of not reevaluated the film against other films, other films but just and reevaluating itself, but maybe my just your own feelings, my, maybe my experience. Yeah, yeah. Like until I fully rewatch it, maybe I can't re restar and then like drop it or raise it. But uh, the experience of what I had, maybe I can reevaluate that, and whether that on a rewatch goes higher or lower, then then we'll see. But until I, I can't just retroactively like bump something up or bump something down based on what I've seen, what are things I've read, I've, I have to experience again mm-hmm. with that, that lens in mm-hmm. mind, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. It does, it does. All right, good. Yeah, we've got a few people. Obviously, I put uh, the post out, like, what is your favorite movie of the year? Um, chuck that on Instagram through my Facebook uh, Twitter as well. I did it last minute, so um, thank you to everyone that did actually reply. Uh, I should have like had this like out a week ago, um, but we had my yeah my cousin Kyle. He said Maverick. Um, it was the only one he watched last year in the cinema outside of Puss in Boots, uh, <laughs> so he doesn't get out to the cinema too often. But he loved um, Top Gun Maverick. Uh, Adam Edwards from the Happy Hour Gaming Podcast. Uh, he said the Banshees of Inassurance. So that's going to get a lot of love coming through here. He said it was beautifully shot and the characters were so well written and performed. Although quite bleak, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it doesn't quite beat In Bruges, but it's a very very good. Um, we had Alistair from Nova Stream Network, uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, which is one I haven't seen yet. Um, now knowing it's being nominated for so many things, I definitely want to check it out. It's been on my it's been on my list, but I'm finding myself uh, rarely opening Netflix these days. Yeah, I think that's also my problem as well. Um, he said, All Quiet on the Western Front, incredible experience, beautifully told, and the production value is astounding. Uh, I'm not a fan of remakes, but this improves it in every way. Was fortunate enough to see it on the big screen. So, uh, yeah, thanks for Alistair. And then Andrew uh, over at The Curb, he's got a few for us. Um, definitely check out The Curb as well. I love Andrew's opinion. He's a champion of Australian film, which is why he's given us um, two international films as a flip of the coin and also given us an Aussie film as well. He's For the international film, he said it's a flip-up between Banshees of Inner Sharon or Decision to Leave. Uh, his Aussie film is The Lonely Spirits Variety Hour, which um, I actually looked up and it's like 77 minutes. Uh, it's about this kind of radio DJ uh, of his Australian film who gets, I think he gets sick or something happens and he has to leave the studio and then like this kind of band comes in or some people come, characters come in and take over his studio. Um, he said that it's had a festival run and it's actually coming out um, in March and April. So uh, that's probably one that's coming out 
soon that he's been lucky enough to see. So it's definitely on my radar, especially the radio background. Um, I think it sounds really cool. Sounds like a cool pre- um, kind of premise. Uh, he said, it's wonderful. Exactly my kind of film. Have watched it more than a few times and loved it a bunch each time. Looking forward to seeing it again in April and best watched with a crowd. He said a few people. So that's pretty cool. Um, and then Simon. Uh, he says, the Batman, exceptionally brooding a detective noir that gives us the best live-action Batman to date. Incredible adaptation of graphic novel aesthetic backed by practical effects and drenched in mood lighting. Uh, big F you to some of the horribly forced DCEU entries over the past decade. Our bats is here to stay. So, uh, very good from Simon. Love that. Uh, and then we kind of head over to Twitter as well. We've got a few res- responses um, there. One from our boy, Abby. Who, uh, it's my boy. Yeah, I used to be on the. Oh my god, why have I. Uh, Robots and Robots skateboards. And Fuck, I've got a skateboard like sitting to my left right here. Jesus Christ. Bring it back, Abby. Bring it back. Um, he said his favorite film was The Banshees of Inner Sheeran. Uh, phenomenal cast working with an amazing script in picturesque fictional island. Ticks all the boxes for me. So thanks for that, um, Abby. And we've also got some over on Instagram as well. NATO, who I used to work with, uh, his favorite quickly on the fly terrible should have had all this prepped shouldn't i have paul that's what you do you know you just sometimes sometimes you, you just forget. riveting this reading conversation uh, he said everything uh, everywhere all at once followed by batman and note which is a surprise because he's a big batman fan so i really thought that um batman would have got it for him but everywhere everywhere is everywhere everything uh is is uh you know takes the cake there as well and, um, yeah, we've also got uh, Mark Halliday, who used to uh, work for uh, Oregon FM 101. He said, everywhere, everywhere, everything, everywhere as well. He said it lived up to the impossible hype. So We also had a few people send in their audio snippets of their favorite films of the year as well. Uh, we're going to hear from Luke Morgan from the Good, the Bad, and the Worst podcast. Uh, then we're also going to hear from uh, Brad my manager at work. You can find him over on Letterboxd at brad33, B-E-R-A-D-3-3. And also his son, Costa, who has uh, sent in his one as well, uh, which is awesome. And he's now set up a, a Letterboxd account too, and I love reading his um his reviews. His Point Break one is so good. Uh, too much surfing. I, I love that. Uh, so you can follow Costa uh, over on Letterboxd as well. Costa Man 200 C-O-S-T-A-M-A-N. 200. So thanks guys for uh, sending your audio snippets in. Um, let's have a listen. Hello, Luke Morgan here, and my favourite film of 2022 was Top Gun Maverick. Watching this film in a cinema was unlike any experience that I've had since Avengers Endgame, um, with a broad range of demographics in the audience laughing, clapping, cheering, and crying. Uh, throughout the film, it was a very special cinema-going experience without needing an 18-film commitment prior to the film, and it stands out above the rest. Hey, buddy, it's me, B-Rad. I watched 116 movies that were released in 2022, and I've got to say the quality was very high. I think my top 25 list are all four stars or higher. Uh, That being said, very hard to pick a favourite, but my top three would definitely be The Batman, The Northman, and Everything Everywhere All at Once. That being said, I've still got a fair few to tick off my list. Uh, Decision to Leave, After Sun, Triangle of Sadness, Tar, so I've still got some watching to do. But uh, yeah, that's me. Thanks. 
Hey buddy, it's me Costa, and my favourite movie of 2022 is Thor Love and Thunder. It's just so good because, well, Christian Bale as a bad guy is just so epic, and the quality of that movie is just top notch. Once again, thanks to Luke, B-Rad, and Costa for sending in their favourite films of 2022, and everyone that replied across all these socials for letting us know what your favourite film was as well. No doubt a few of those will pop up in our list going forward, but without further ado, let's kick it off with... Number 20, we have got Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery uh, directed by Ryan Johnson, of course, a follow-up to Knives Out. Uh, World-famous detective Benoit Blanc heads to Greece to peel back the layers of a mystery surrounding a tech billionaire and his collective crew of friends, Daniel Craig, Edward Norton, Janelle Monet, Dave Bautista, Kate Hudson, and Leslie Odom Jr. Um, it is nominated for one Oscar, surprisingly, uh, maybe, for a Best Adapted Screenplay. Um, out of the possible 32 points that our films can get combined with our 16 points each uh, being maximum number one this scored one it was only on one of our lists and it was mine um, sitting at number 16 uh, yeah Knives Out what can I say um, I loved it I love Ryan Johnson as a director I thought Knives Out was fantastic the original um, what he's been able to do kind of in this genre uh, of kind of playful mysteries with uh kind of this almost this agatha christie Poirot type character benoit blanc um is great i think daniel craig is like perfectly suited for a role i felt like the elements of glass onion were much more funnier and maybe like played in a lot of, lot more like social issues especially kind of the tech billionaire played by edward norton who kind of mirrored uh elon musk and this kind of whole twitter takeover and these kind of uh stupid quotation mark geniuses that ex exist that kind of fall into money and, and just are absolute fuck total fuckwits uh, it kind of encapsulates the character that was in knives out um i think it was michael shannon's son that kind of right-wing kid yeah 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 um in that sense so i felt like it was his character but then that kind of essence thrown into a that whole vibe and, and thrown into complete and utter art, art movie. So um, I thought Glass Onion was awesome. I think it was just as good as Knives Out. Once again, the strength of the movie's ensemble cast. Janelle Monet was fantastic. Edward Norton, um, just just everyone. And, and Edward Norton, kind of the play on kind of this kind of Elon Musk character, was uh, just perfect. Kind of at, at the time awareness and and yeah, a, a weird like a weird moment of the cultural zeitgeist. Yeah like lining up with a film that had been filmed months you know yeah. it had the script had been written a year or so before yeah that had even come to fruition so just a weird moment of like life and art gelling into this one thing and my favorite film of ryan johnson's is brick i love noir as a genre and kind of throwing that into neo-noir and blending that with a kind of coming of age story in that kind of setting kind of they're all buddy movie elements ingredients to make the perfect storm so going into these kind of murder mysteries and and that little kind of playfulness i i really dig it and um i'm wouldn't be surprised and i wouldn't be disappointed i'd be very happy actually uh if we don't you know if we get like two to three more of these kind of knives out mysteries yeah um you think about the opportunity cost of what that could be like could we get something groundbreaking as as brick or you know uh even last jedi it mixed emotions but it did something with a a franchise that was against the status quo and kind of was a little bit more daring and, and playful. Mm. Uh, do we miss out on something like that in an, another more original script at the cost of that? I don't know, but um, 
yeah, I, I wouldn't be disappointed if we see Daniel Craig reprise uh, Benoit Blanc again. So, yeah, number 20 on the list. How do you feel about it, Paul? Yeah, it was, it was good. It was good. Good time. <laughs> there you go. Uh, we're going to try and celebrate movies uh, on this. Obviously, top 20 films. So, um, yeah, we probably won't go too much into kind of dislikes or whatever because, quite frankly, there's really not too much amongst our list. Um, let's get into number 19. This was also on... Just my list, I think it was. Uh, the unbearable weight of massive talent um, starring Nicolas Cage and Pedro Pascal, who is like absolutely killing it this year. Creatively unfilled and forcing, uh, facing financial ruin, Nick Cage must accept a $1 million offer to attend the birthday of a dangerous superfan. Things take a wildly unexpected turn when Cage is recruited by a CIA agent and forced to live up to his own legend, channeling his most iconic and beloved on-screen characters in order to save himself and his loved ones. Man, what an absolute roller coaster! Not too many comedies generally pop up on these lists for me, and if they are, they generally blend over to the coming of age um, kind of genre, like Book Smart and in, in Years Gone. So, but this was just a hell of a ride, and it made me revisit a lot of Nicolas Cage's movies a little before and after. And just this guy is like I already love him, but I didn't know I could love it him as much more going through David Lynch's Wild at Heart and Moonstruck and Raising Arizona, all these other crazy, crazy roles. But just to see, like, there's a film more recently that um, Guy Ritchie's brought out where it's almost a similar kind of um, premise where an actor's playing himself or whatever, the one with you know, Operation Fortune. Oh, okay, yes. Yeah, I think I've seen the trailer so for that. So I saw that, the trailer but, for yeah. that, and I'm like, oh, this is the weight of massive talent movie, but not meta. Mm. And I don't know what, whether that was getting good reviews or not, but just the idea that they could do something like this and not... Like, there's a line they could have crossed where it could have been super too much cheesy or didn't work, um, but I feel that everyone committed to it. It's straight-laced. It almost pushes it towards the end in the finale. But, yeah, I just had a, a fantastic time and, yeah, one of my favourite comedies of the year. So Nice, nice. Nick Cage, so good. Um, and then we've got number 18. Now, Paul, this is one we uh, got to see at Biff, I think. Yeah. Maybe night two of Biff that we saw. We saw, saw a double header. So um, this is uh, Broker, directed by Hirokai Kurita. Kurita? Sorry. Um, he previously did Shoplifters, which has some great claim. I haven't seen it, unfortunately. But um, yeah, if you wanted to tell us why Broker was on your list, I think this was, what, number 12 on your list? Yeah, it was, it was up there. Um, like, uh, I would say, look, Broker kind of was a, kind of a weird experience because we were watching it. it. It was the first of a doubleheader. It was um, Biff was a Biff was a fever dream because we were seeing so many movies at so many different cinemas. Uh, going to work the next day, coming home, getting a nap, going back to the cinemas, staying there all night. Broker is this really beautiful, really tender story about like found family, in a, in a, a story about these people who um, steal babies, abandon babies from a hospital, and sell them off. Uh, to people who want to adopt them. And um, they sort of... The mother who drops this baby off, she comes back for it, and she doesn't know if she wants to keep it or not. And there's, and this, they become this small little family of them and this baby and this other kid that runs away from an orphanage. 
and it's just tender and the cinematography is beautiful and it's really soft and then it sort of ends kind of re- kind of sadly i thought and it kind of I was, it was just very point it's just a very poignant movie about you know uh family doesn't have to be the the one that you're born into it's one that you can you know cultivate for yourself or you can just find by accident uh, it's just really sweet, uh, beautiful movie. What do you think of it? Yeah, I did enjoy it. It wasn't as hype for me, but um, that's something that like definitely resonates for me. Found family. I was raised by my grandparents my whole life. I don't really have too many like my mum and dad figures weren't role models or in in uh, certain situations where they were able to kind of raise me. So um, I definitely identify with found uh, <laughs> found family as as a, you know, a personal kind of ethos. That I that I live by, and, and especially having um, a few close friends that I've grown up with uh, over over twenty plus you know, twenty plus years, so um, definitely resonated with me. Um, I think that experience though made me a little bit bitter watching it with some of the kind of like outcomes and things that kind of happened, and like oh, maybe that oh, maybe I wouldn't be as grateful in the certain situations of, of of stuff happening and that resolutions, but yeah, definitely um, definitely definitely was emotional. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Breaker was good. It's very good film. That uh, there's a long extended like dialogue sequence in a Ferris wheel. Yes. That I think is like, I was just so locked in when it got to that point because it's sort of, I think it's dusk and the 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 sky is blue, but it's just it's that faint hint of blue like just before it gets dark and it's this really emotional scene between these two people when this one guy kind of. Uh, I don't want to give everything away, but he's kind of like just, you know, exposing himself emotionally, like leaving himself all out there. And it's just like, it goes on for so long and it's just back and forth. Yeah, it's really tender. And I think it's like one of those kind of movies that you watch and, um, you know, it doesn't feel, the the emotionality of it doesn't feel forced. Like it feels really genuine. That's how I felt watching it. And that, that scene sort of, uh, yeah, it really put it up there. It, in my list uh, when we walked out of that film I thought about it for a long time the other film that we watched that night sort of they it was a big night of just emotional movies dude <laughs> oh my god and it's hard to separate those two now you know definitely it was like a yeah we'll, we'll speak about that film later on but it was like a double feature of trauma it was just heavy it was very heavy the movie's heavy but it's good it's beautifully shot if you like cinematography you'll be like looking at it like oh shit this is beautiful well, well, well crafted. Um, that brings us to number 17 on the list. Uh, this was on both of our lists. And yeah, it got five points uh, for people playing at home. Um, Broker was also five. So it was kind of a tie for 16 here. Um, this one is Jordan Peele's Nope. Uh, of course, he directed Us in 2019. Also Get Out in 2017. Uh, Daniel Kluwer, Kiki Palmer, uh, Stephen Ewan and Brandon Pereira. Uh, this was just batshit crazy in the most epic way. And I didn't expect it to kind of be like this when it, well, when I, when I saw it. So obviously get out, you have this kind of, uh, racial context and themes, and then you jump to us and it's almost kind of like class, and then I'm like, well, what's the kind of message going to be in, in, in Nope? And, um, you know, obviously Variety did an analysis on it about how, I can, how you can, like, contain, tame, taming the predator or, or man trying to, like, 
control the uncontrollable and Mm -hmm. and think it has that over there. But I feel like it wears that less on its sleeve than what the two previous films did. Um, But combined in like this, like grandiose sci-fi kind of way that really reminded me um, of one of my favorite films and Spielberg films is like Close Encounters of the Third third Kind. Ah, So interesting that you draw to Close Encounters because for me, it's Jaws, Jaws. baby. It's, yeah. it's Jaws all over. It's Jaws in the sky. That's, it rocks so fucking hard. <laughs> it's all killer, no filler. It, it rips, bro. We're going to need a bigger s- motorbike. Yeah, it's it's so good. That Variety article is, is um, interesting to think about because I really think it's kind of like, and I think it's why it's maybe not getting as much awards love right now, is that it's a critique on Hollywood's, uh, you know, chewing people up and spitting them out. And... and Hollywood sort of disregard for um, the people around the industry, like the chimpanzee scene, and that being yeah, that's sort of just tying in just thematically to what's going on on the farmhouse yeah. is kind of just uh, yeah I don't know it felt very big blockbuster. It's like Peel at his most accessible. I thought Kalua is doing like I've I've seen some criticisms of his performance in the film saying that like. He's not really doing much. He's very understated. But I thought he was doing – he's doing the Western hero. He's doing Clint Eastwood. 100%. And it's it's his kind of understated nature that is the – makes the performance so good. Like you could be over the top and you can't have like him be that character with Kiki Palmer's character as well. Like she is just bombastic, full of energy, yeah. full of life. And she is like stealing scenes left, right and center. Oh, she, she's fantastic in the movie. She gets to do the Akira slide. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It's uh, it's so sick, yeah. No, I love it. The The soundtrack is um, amazing. They have that Western theme that kicks in when he's on the horse. So good. Uh, the cinematography, the stuff they did with the day for night stuff is absolutely like mind-blowing, the sort of technology that they use to do that. It's, uh, it's crazy because watching that film, you're like, how in the hell are they shooting this in... in Moonlight, you know, and it looks so good. Yeah, I think it's uh I think it's Peel's best film. Well, controversial, maybe? Big hot, take? Hot take? Big hot take? take? Yeah, warm take. Yeah, what do you know about it? Uh, <laughs> yeah, your podcast. Uh, throw 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 a take out there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm um, maybe yes. Uh, like looking by, I haven't really thought about it. I I'd, I'd say probably yes. I think it go, kind of tends back to your kind of most accessible um like tag that you throw in it and kind of that understated uh, political or so- social nature of what it's trying to say. Um, yeah, it's 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 sort of subtext is a lot deeper in the film. Well, hidden underneath more layers than sort of uh, like Get Out. I think Get Out's still... Top tier. Top tier. I think Us is pretty good. But I think, yeah, Nope and Get Out are like his better films. And Get Out's like this fully in your face uh like taking of the horror genre and turning into this like uh comment commentary on like race relations and sort of being a black man in america and then nope yeah it's kind of just like uh it seems like to me when i was watching it it seemed like an indictment of um sort of the film industry and sort of the also the treatment of animals but also the treatment of like people who aren't key creative players in in making 100%, films 100 you get that kind of at the start with the uh you know the horse training and their their, their their family and what they do and how they don't get the credit and kind of kudos for that mm. and i guess that just kind of runs yeah like you said runs kind of through the whole film as well so yeah nope number 17 uh number 16 um also a tie with uh nope 
and Bloker on five point two. We have got Robert Eggers, the Northman, um, here showing up in previous lists where we used to do the RBC top twenty of the year. Um, the Northman. This was number sixteen on your list, and it was number thirteen on my list, Paul. What do you like about Eggers, and what do you like about the Northman? I mean, it's a good move. It's a like if you are someone who kind of thinks that a lot of uh, blockbusters are very samey at the moment, that this is something that's, it's a big historical epic. It's not afraid to be weird. It's not afraid to be really weird. It has a Dark Souls boss fight in the middle of it. (laughs) Um, It's good. It's really good. I think uh, for me, it excels more in its, uh, you know, its look, the, the feeling, the costume design, the set design. Uh, the cinematography than it does the script. The script doesn't feel as I think it's maybe Egg is most like um, how do I say this? Uh, well, this is one where he um, actually signed on and uh, allowed like the studio to have the final word. I think that was yeah. like a part of the. Um, it's his most straightforward story. Like the witch and the lighthouse are, are very, very strange and weird. But then you kind of look at the source material of what this is, um, and I, whether it's a, like a spoiler or not, um, it's based on. The, like Hamlet, which is a Scandinavian legend from the 1200s, um, which is basically the Hamlet story and what inspired Shakespeare to do Hamlet later on, even though they kind of really can't confirm that Shakespeare would have, would have known. Would have but known. it's interesting. Uh, well, I guess that's an interesting thing because but you think about, like, stories kind of have this thing where they seem to like uh, ripple across mm-hmm. um, space and time in a way that sometimes doesn't seem possible you know like cult, different cultures that don't have contact can sometimes have similar stories uh but yeah yeah i thought it was well his most straightforward and and his movies are weird so it's not that straightforward <laughs> but it kind of has it's kind of just you know uh well yeah it's hamlet you know did I, you pick up on that when you watch it yeah i think i think after i walked out and i was like why didn't i why didn't i love that and then I did you pick up during? I don't think uh, not during. I think during I kept waiting for it to sort of do uh, something a little different as far as its story goes because it's kind of it makes these moves, all these turns into like the mythic and and the supernatural. And I'm like, I love that stuff when you know he's talking to that uh, to the severed head of the old you know uh, whatever you call it from his village, or when like. Uh, the Valkyrie is riding him off to fucking Valhalla. And I'm like, yes, I love this. I, I want it to sort of reach that sort of epic conclu- conclusion. And it sort of just comes back down to being um, a more grounded story in the end. Man, I was like, I'm at the start. I'm watching this. stuff. I've read nothing about it at all. Um, you know, a character gets slayed. And then to take, you know, take over the kingdom or whatever. I'm like, it clicks for me immediately what this is. And I'm like, oh, oh my God, this is, this is the Lion King. It's the Lion um, King. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit, this guy's Scar. It's Mufasa. Mufasa, Mufasa, Mufasa. Uh, yeah. So then like the whole incest thing was like telegraph for me. I'm like, oh no. Oh no. And obviously that's not in the fucking, that's not in the Lion King. They brush her I'm over like, it. But <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, that was like a point that I'm like, oh no, oh no, no, right, don't, yeah, don't do it. But um, that didn't take anything away from it, but because it's a, such a familiar story, I guess, like, it, and 
prior knowledge of it. You don't really have to do any kind of heavy lifting. You can kind of just like soak it in and soak in the world right. and soak in kind of. I think that's what I was doing. I was, and, and I was, I was looking for where's the where, where's he going? He's going to hit us from left field. There's going to be you know like William Dafoe in his mermaid is going to pop up at the end or something. You know what I mean? Like I'm waiting <laughs> yeah, yeah. for that moment. Um, and it just it sort of never comes there. What do you think about the performances in that? Uh, I thought they were good from memory. Obviously, William Defoe is like this this crazy character in almost anything he plays, so um, it's kind of <laughs> hard to differentiate whether he's good, bad, or, or otherwise. I thought Hawke was really good. Ethan Hawke was really good, and I would have loved uh, him. I, obviously, he can't stick around for much longer, but you know, he he's got to go. That's yeah. the it's the catalyst for the story, but. I really liked the performance. I was like, I would like to see more of Ethan Hawke as a Viking king. In this world, yeah. Yeah. Um, Annie Taylor-Johnson, of course, this will be her... Well, not of course. This is uh, her first entry in this uh, top 20. She'll be popping up... Uh, Spoilers. Later on. Uh, foreshadowing. But, um, yeah, I thought all around it was, uh, it was quite good. I enjoyed it. Would, would watch again. Would watch again. Would watch again out of 10. How many of those movies you uh, have gone have gotten the second watch treatment from you? Not many. Not many. So you Top Gun maybe. Mm-hmm. Oh, spoilers! Oh my god! Panic! Cut that! 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 But yeah, we'll, we'll talk about. <laughs> You're just trying to milk the answers out of me. He's trying to milk the answers out of me. He's trying to spoil the list here. Unbelievable! This guy over here uh, can't believe this. So. Um, yeah, number. Uh, 16 on the list, that is Robert Eggers, The Northman. And number four, uh, sorry, 15 after that. Uh, number 15 Armaged- is Armageddon Time. It is number six. Uh, sorry, it is 15th. It has six points, Armageddon Time. Um, this is directed by James Gary, who obviously did Ad Astra in 2019, and Lost City of Z in 2016, which actually featured uh, on your top 10 of 2016 when we did our RVC Top 20 Countdown. Yeah. I think it was number one. It was it, very high. It, it was number one at the time. It, no, it was very high. I think it was like number two. It has lost that spot since because yeah. uh, those lists... you out there just retroactively like... Those oh, lists I'll change watch, over time. Really? I'm watching they a do. movie from 2016. Oh, shit, I'm popping it in. You know, you, you, do you want to know what happened? Do you want to... You don't want to know what happened. Go on, tell you me. Don't want to, you don't want to hear this story. Right. Quick, quick. Quick, quick tell me story. Well, um, that that was also a very good year. Like I thought, the top five for that year was very, um, very strong. So I'm sitting there watching, you know, one of my favorite ghost stories from that year. Oh no! What happened? It's number one, baby. What's number one? Personal Shopper. Oh no! <laughs> oh, great, great no. fucking movie. And also, I dropped down. Uh, Call me by your name. That was number one. And I was like, Personal Shopper just for me sort of vibrates on this level of almost like Lynchian kind of ghost story where it's it's weird and I I really love her performance in it and I just like how fucking odd it is. God, just something just did not click in that for me. Um, I don't think I'll be revisiting that, unfortunately. All right, well, uh, we know, we'll we know, get you there one we day. Know my fa- we know my favorite ghost story from that year. But we're talking about Armageddon Time. This is one that's only on your list. So tell us about Didn't make your time. list. Didn't make my list. Uh, didn't well, make my, interesting. Didn't make my top 16. Oh, okay. But it, was it on that list? Was it on your list? I don't think it was on my twenty top 22 of 22. Wow. Yeah. Wow. You're coming in hot, man. Am I? You're coming in hot with this one. Why? Why you am didn't, I coming in it hot? Didn't, it didn't hit. It didn't uh, do it, didn't it for hit, you? It didn't do it for me. Um, there's certain ways they t- uh, treat 
specific characters in this, uh, specific minority characters, um, that I guess it's just this is almost like the an autobiographical film, right? For yeah. James Gray, yeah, so very much so. Stuff that happened in his childhood growing yep. up, so he might have had similar experiences. So it's kind of tough to say that certain characters were mistreated or done harshly, but maybe that's just what happened and that's the way the world was or is and certain privileges helped certain characters get out of situations that other kind of people would not be able to get out of in general. And yeah. I thought that... Um, so you didn't like that aspect of the story? I, I didn't like it. Yeah, I'm talking about, obviously, Jalen Webb, um, who plays his Davis in, in the story. His and, friend, yeah. Um, I thought I thought it was a really poignant uh, way to approach that because it's instead of it being a story about like uh, just a kid doing the right thing in in his moment of thing, it's about a kid failing to do the right thing. But then, so it's a story about a person um, understanding their moral failures and understanding that they have to do better in the future. That's why I really liked it, and also it has one of the all time. Uh, great Anthony Hopkins performances. He Fantastic. fucking kills this movie, dude. He wipes the floor with everybody else. I think, like, per, quite. Per, if the whole movie was just him doing his his like grandpa thing, I, I yeah, I'd watch two and a half hours of that. He was so good, and you know that scene where he's sort of reflected in a in a uh, like a, a photo frame behind the boy and he's kind of you know he's giving him the business he's giving him a he's giving him a talking to her. Mm. it's uh it's probably one of my favorite scenes of the year 100 percent. he is like just owning that performance and i think i said it after like we saw this like i wish anthony hopkins was like my granddad <laughs> me too dude me too i wish he was just showing up and being like you could have done better yeah. do better um, there was an interesting critique because we saw this at Biff and we saw this uh, with Michael, who we know on, on Twitter, who is also a film fan as well, he's, and he's a teacher. And he had a like, kind of a good critique about like kind of jumping from a public school to a private school and, and kind of what they kind of push and promote. And like at the public school, he's doing the art. Uh, they're like pushing art, but he doesn't really get celebrated for that kind of stuff from, no, from yeah, memory. Absolutely. And then he gets pushed to a private school where they're not really pushing that, but they like they, they showcase it, but they don't really have anything that's kind of developing that kind of skill. It's, it's like either you have it or you don't. We don't want to harness this. Yeah. Thing. It's also an interesting, like the movie's obviously dealing with a lot of things set during the 80s. It's It seems like a real... Um, Reagan stuff. A real indictment of Reaganism and Trumpism, really. And I think, uh, yeah, I thought that sort of political statement was also super interesting. Mm. Um, yeah, I really liked it. I thought it was really like, but I'm a big fan of Gray's stuff. Like, I know some people might find him hit or miss. I've liked pretty much everything he's done. I should like, like Ad Astra more than, than I should, like being like, um, you know, fucking Apocalypse Now in Space or whatever. <laughs> the, the interesting thing about Ad Astra is it kind of like the ending sort of undoes it for me. That's, and that's that, that was a studio mandate, apparently, yeah. that uh, it was. It was going to be very different. But his other, like, Lost City of Z, Rips, We Own the Night, Rips, Two Lovers, Rip, like, he's got a lot of, he's got a lot of hits that sort of, especially in, like, film circles or in film Twitter, doesn't get a lot of love. But, like, there's there's a car chase scene in We Are in the Night, dude, that's, like, in the rain, Robert Duvall, Joaquin Phoenix. It is sick. It's like a 70s crime movie. It's 
sick, dude. I'm telling you, rocks. Right up the uh, right up the Paul Alley there, 70s crime movie. So fantastic. Um, so that was number 15, Armageddon Time. Uh, let's get into number 14. Another one that featured on both of our lists. This came in on uh, number 11 for me. Uh, this was number 15 for you, Paul. Uh, it's on our countdown. Got eight points. So um, just above Armageddon Time. Uh, this was a part of the double feature that we spoke about before with um, Broker on the second night of Biff that we saw. So this was a, like an emotional roller coaster, like we said before, seeing Broker before and then seeing this after. Um, it is uh, Luca Don't Close, which was just absolutely heartbreaking. It's got an Oscar nomination for Best International um, Feature. It is Belgium Submission. Uh, it is about 13-year-olds Leo and Remy, um, who have always been incredibly close, but they are drift apart after the intimacy of their relationship is questioned um, by schoolmates. So, man, close was just... I didn't... I had kind of zero knowledge of what it was going into it outside of a few people that just kind of saw it at Miff um, from Bede, who'd kind of put that up towards the, the highest... You know, higher level of his stuff, so um, I need to check it out, but I kind of went in with kind of not really knowing too much about it, other than it might be semi-emotional for reasons, and then watching it and just kind of seeing what it is, I didn't know what was going to happen, but I definitely felt the build from the start that you know, something, there was going to be something traumatic or something emotional or something to kind of, between these two kids that are basically best friends or, or, or whatever, and about halfway through this film, just I felt like for the rest of the movie, I was basically just holding my breath, waiting for this like massive, massive exhale. And um, to see performances like this from two child actors, um, one being uh, Eden Denbring, who plays Leo, and Gustave Del Tuali, oh, bad pronunciation, maybe, um, who plays Remy, I thought just like from performance-wise for two child actors at that age to be able to quite first of all convey this relationship um so it's not organically but ge- genuinely right with it, like not just these guys are cast to be best friends or whatever you you felt you felt that was genuine in the mm-hmm. film and then the kind of effects of that kind of that breaking down in the aftermath were just i thought it was fantastically performed and yeah it just it literally knocked the wind out of me um, yeah. yeah, it's a real heavy movie. I think if I had any criticisms about it, I would think that it uh, maybe lets itself off a le- little easy when it gets to the end. Because it, it is quite like, it's dealing with some really, really heavy subjects about, you know, uh, intimacy between boys, um, what that relationship is or was or could have blossomed into. Um, you. you feelings of responsibility towards friends and f- those sorts of relationships, uh, dealing with parents, dealing with just growing up and, um, you know, your peer group. And uh, it's sort of, it's it's beautifully shot, it's well acted. Just for me, the ending was just sort of let it off just a little too easy. But then again, I'm not sure how you could meaningfully really wrap it up, you know? True, uh, yeah, I 100% agree. It's kind of like taken masculinity of like, when do you kind of, you know, what what's innocent and friends and friendship and how do you convey that as you grow into uh, from from a child into a, an adult I guess and um, oh man I don't, like it's one of those films I don't know if I 
I, I'd love to watch it again, but I don't know if I have any energy in me to make that happen anytime soon. It's yeah. almost like I, I want that experience to be that experience. That's interesting. That's an interesting way to um to think about it. Yeah, I uh, you know me, I I got to see it again. I got to check every couple of years. Go back, check. Still good. Still good. <laughs> still heartbreaking. Still heartbreaking. All right. Yeah. Still sad. <laughs> I'm still sad. You're still sad? We're all still sad. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Um, that brings us to number 13 on the list. And number 13 is one that's uh, only on my list. And this is the second uh, appearance of Anya Taylor-Joy uh, for the evening. And this is, with nine points, at number 13, The Menu. Uh, a couple travels to a coastal island to eat an exclusive at an exclusive restaurant where the chef has prepared a lavish meal with some shocking surprises. Um... The menu, it is in my top 10. Really? It is at number eight. So basically all the points here are from me. Interesting. It doesn't feature this is very list. high. Uh, it is very high. And there are a few films in my list that are kind of like, why are they in there? These aren't film films or mm-hmm. whatever, you know, as we kind of get, get, get to later <laughs> on. Um, I don't know. I just I just loved the, the, the satire about it. I loved the presentation of the, the, the meals and kind of, how the film was almost like broken up into courses or segments itself. Um, I love the kind of critique on many a things or that they're trying to say. Um, I, obviously, there's like critique on Hollywood that they're trying to through, like finances, uh, the critics, um, almost like the Instagram or the or the obsessive or the or the stands. I think it's well acted. I think um, Ralph Fiennes is it is is just. Fantastic as the the chef, um, the performance from uh, Hong Chow uh, as like his kind of assistant um, is great. She is actually nominated for an Oscar for the Whale. I haven't seen that. I'm hearing a lot of conflicting things whether that's actually good or not. Outside of Brenda Fraser, uh, I, I don't know if I will see it. But um, it's just weird that she's getting all the plaudits for that. So I kind of want to see that versus her performance in this, just as like a, a comparison. Yeah. Um, ending's fantastic. There's just some like shocking moments that kind of happen in it. I just love how it's presented, which is maybe just fitting for a film that's about food. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you seen this one yet? No, I didn't get no, a chance to see it. You didn't get a chance to see it. Wow, unbelievable. It's unlike you. Unprofessional. Yeah, I know. Unprofessional. Um, unprofessional. Uh, this will be Paul's last moment on the, <laughs> last moment on the podcast. Um, but yeah, fantastic. I, I, I think I definitely think. Yeah, the, the subcontent, the the subtext in it, everything. I it's it's a poor movie for sure. So, yeah, the menu, check it out. Uh, number twelve on the list. This is one that's only on your list, and all ten points comes from you. This is after Yang, uh, when his daughter's beloved companion, an android named Yang, malfunctions. Uh, Jake searches for a way to repair him. Jake's, not Jake Sully. In the process, Jake discovers the life that has been passing in front of him, reconnecting with his wife and daughter across the distance he didn't know was there. Uh, this is re- uh, directed by Koganada uh, and stars Colin Farrell, who was uh, possibly going to show up later. Just might. Maybe a few more times. Um, Jerry Turner-Smith, uh, Malaya Emma, Tajandra Wajaja. Uh, that might be bad pronunciation, but... I tried looking it up. Uh, and Justin H. Min as Yang. Paul, after Yang, this um, was relatively early in the year. 2020, I think it, it premiered at a film festival in 2021, but then I, I, it dropped I, in January, right? I literally seen it last year. Yeah. 
and I don't mean last year, 2022, I mean last year. The year before. He means last year. 2021. Uh, Yeah, so are you familiar with Kogonata's work? I am not, but... You haven't seen Columbus? No, and I want to. Mm, I do want to now after seeing mm. After Yang last night. Oh my God. Two nights ago. But it didn't make the list. Uh, My list is done. Or were you... It's set in concrete. Set in stone. We couldn't change it. We couldn't change it. These rules, man. You've got to think about like how long some of these films have been sitting with me and kind of, once again, that, that factor of thinking about it more, reading about it more, seeing other opinions, having discussions. Right, um, yeah. And the effect that they have on that. That's pretty fair. If, if so, you're not, yeah, if you don't come out of a film. Who knows, maybe I'll do a locked into and, your... I'll, and I'll bump it up into my 2022 list later on in the year. I think you should, it's pretty good. Re- retroactively changing lists. <laughs> it's really good. I, I really, I'm really a fan of Koganada's work. Yep. Uh, it's one of the, the most quiet understated uh, movies i've ever seen and it's farrell is just putting in a fucking performance here i know he's getting a lot of attention for other things he's done this year but for me this is like oh okay because people talk about farrell like he was a guy who was set up to be a leading man he didn't really connect that way with audiences and you know he's a character actor i'm gonna throw it to you i before the last couple of years i didn't really like colin farrell as an actor Mm, interesting 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 very interesting. Um, he's phenomenal in this. 100%. He's so good. Uh, it's just this really, like, I, I just love this, like, uh, image of the future, the way that it is, this sort of story about this guy. Um, this is, oh, dude, what did you think about the moment when he, I think he's talking to the mechanic who's trying to fix um, Yang. And he calls him he uh, he calls him his son. I thought that was such a beautiful moment because Yang is this is this uh, like cyber, like a synthetic human that's just meant to help uh, Colin Farrell's daughter connect with her heritage because I guess she's a do- I don't know what's the future. It's weird because um, reading up on it, it's like a lot of a lot of interesting points about um, a lot of the characters in the film are adopted. Mm. Or clones, mm. um, and kind of how there that might be like a, a non-spoken kind of fertility problem that's happening, and this is kind of what's resulted in, in this being a thing. Yeah. Um, but like once again, like what you're saying, like this kind of understated sci-fi, like subtle nature of, yes. of of sci-fi and how grounded it is. And I think like you throwing it back to Colin Powell and his performance, I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, as you know, obviously it was well as the script, but um, the the. F- the scene that I loved is actually, uh, it's Yang, like he's artificial AI or whatever, whatever he is, right? Um, obviously, he looks like human and everything, but he knows everything. Okay, he's like a supercomputer. Uh, he's asking Colin Farrell's character about T. And he knows every fact about T, but he's kind of like, why, why T? And he's explaining to him uh, about the process of T and, and what T means to him because that's kind of his job and, and why he kind of loves it and talks about this documentary that... He's seen and kind of inspired him towards that. Is that where he does the Werner Herzog? Is that the scene where he does the Werner Herzog impression? Yes. Yeah, yes. Colin Farrell has a fucking yeah, yeah, dirt yeah, Werner it, Herzog. It is, it is, it's it is so good, dude. That. Um, that was my favorite scene, specifically because of like, I think it, that scene encapsulates all the themes of the film. Yang knows everything, but he is like looking for a reason. Why am I alive? What does my existence mean? My identity? I wish I could kind of... He, he's like, I wish I could feel... I know everything about tea, but I mm. wish I could feel the way you feel the about way you tea. feel about tea. And then, yeah, oh, it's such a good film about and humanity, I, and, dude. And, and like spoilers, I love tea. 
like I drink tea all the time. So my like, buddy oh, was locked man, in. I'm locked in. You're, t- you're talking at my levels. <laughs> yeah, I feel like brewing a pot right now. Uh, yeah, it's dude. It's this beautiful um, movie. Uh, Haley Lou Richardson, Richards, is in it. Uh, she's great in it. There's that scene where the the Mits, the Mitski song is playing. That is stuck in my head now. That Mitski ah, song. I love that song. Um, it's just. Kirkman is just good at what he does, man. And uh, like, I love Columbus. I love After Yang, and I just want to see the more stuff he does. He also has some really good uh, video essays from before he was a director. He has this on um, Vimeo. They're fantastic to watch if you're uh, into his kind of stuff. But yeah, After Yang uh, goes so hard. That's my review. That's the review. That's it. After Yang goes hard as a so hard. So hard. That after the so hot right now. <laughs> uh, which brings us to number 11, um, which is exclusively on my list again, and uh, very high on my list because it's got 11 points, which means uh, for those playing at home, it is my number six movie of the year. And for those of you who know me, this is one of my favorite franchises of all time. You may say that the answer to what this movie is very close if you're watching the uh, the video video version of it, but it is Scream, Scream 5. Um, 25 years, you know what, who gives a fuck? It's Scream 5. Uh, <laughs> we're not going to read the synopsis. Um, cool thing about Scream 5 is directed by uh, the Radio Science guys, Matt uh, B- Bettinelli and um, Tyler Gillette, I think. My pronunciation's terrible. They did Ready or Not, which is something I hadn't seen until the lead-up of Scream, and I watched that, and I just absolutely loved that. Uh, it was fantastic. And, yeah, um, Scream 5 does a bunch of things that are different to the to the kind of the Scream franchise with its what they did with the opening kill, um, what they do with kind of potential flashbacks uh, and PTSD, and kind of it's always been throwing back to characters that are, you know, li- lineage family ties and a lineage like that, but they do that in a different way in this film without kind of giving away um, what it's about. Jenna Ortega gives an absolutely star-making performance for me. I didn't know, I didn't, I haven't seen her in anything before this, but she's being heralded this some kind of, some kind of scream queen. Um, she's gone on to do Wednesday X and she is just popping up in a lot of things now. It's been greenlit for a sequel, uh, which at the time of recording is only like 45 days away and it's set in New York in what is, is some bombastic different setting for scream a la Jason takes Manhattan uh, it's going to be like maybe an action slasher. It looks out, sick. It's outside of Woodsboro, which I think is fantastic. I think they're keeping the elements of the franchise that make the franchise great in it, but they're kind of stepping out of that, almost like what Ryan Johnson um, did with Last Jedi. And it's so funny because they make references to Ryan Johnson in this film, making the you know, making the stab films and being critiqued uh, almost oh, I like The Last Jedi. Um, they always got their, I feel like the Scream movies always have their finger on the pulse with the meta-narrative before or like just on the cusp of that meta-narrative breaking down and kind of toxic fandom and Redditors like not happy with the franchise and wanting to rewrite their own movie, which is almost um, something that was supposed to be done in Scream 3 um, before it was kind of re- rewritten. So to see that kind of storyline pop up in Scream 5, was fantastic um yeah just just everything about it i i i loved and i'm looking forward to scream six so it's a lot i can't talk about without the kind of kind of spoils it uh there's a kill that happens 
in the daytime that is just so great because it builds up across like five to ten minutes of like almost jump scares and that's kind of something that i missed about scream from watching four and elements of three that i loved that were in one and two the the kind of the, the tense nature the cat and mouse the back and forth like we know he's there but when will he strike and um there's still not enough of that in the later movies but um just having that kind of one scene i thought was really cool and to set it due to daytime um yeah i think that was a good mix up too so yeah scream fantastic looking forward to number six can't wait we won't throw to you paul uh <laughs> we don't want you to hate on scream you know, anything good to say about scream yeah i liked it yeah cool uh <laughs> great stuff now <laughs> number 10 this is one that was also on your only on your list and it was um it was pretty high this is number five uh on your personal list paul and there, we're getting into the top 10 here. Number 10 on our list with 12 points. This is the first documentary and only documentary to make it. But this is uh, something that I also watched last night. Oh, Let's go, son. Holy shit. Okay, we can actually have a conversation about um, this. This is Fire of Love. And yeah, so it's about Katia and Maurice Kraft. Uh, they loved two things, each other, and volcanoes. For two decades, the daring French uh, volcanologists couple were seduced by the thrill and danger of this elemental love triangle they roamed the planet chasing eruptions and their aftermath documenting their discoveries in stunning photographs and breathtaking film to share with an increasingly curious public in media appearances and lecture tours ultimately Katia and maurice would lose their lives during a 1991 volcanic explosion on japan's mount unzen Inzen? but they would leave a legacy that would forever enrich our knowledge of the natural world um paul what do you love about fire of love what's not to love about this fucking movie <laughs> let's talk let's talk about this guy right let's talk about this guy he's uh, they're both insane they they love uh volcanoes and they're i mean the, the this <laughs> this guy's talking about the whole movie he's like i want to build a canoe and i want to ride down a river of lava that's what i want to do that's my life's dream <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. There's a part of the movie where he actually takes a little rubber dinghy out onto a lake of acid. <laughs> and and that, that stuff is crazy and super, super interesting. And, and uh, like what they learned about uh, volcanoes and what they taught people was also really cool and informative. But what I love about this movie is that it is fucking one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen. And it's, it's all archival footage. He shot it himself on like 16 millimeter and 35. And it's just gorgeous to look at it's like it's like if uh fucking wes anderson got in a time machine and went back to like the 70s and followed these people around it's uh, amazing how much like style and uh you know he's he's almost like an auteur filmmaker but it's it just comes out of necessity for his love of like chasing volcanoes or their love of chasing volcanoes and it's um Dude, it's just it was just so gorgeous to look at. Like the story is super interesting and and tragic and beautiful, and it's a love story. And <laughs> I couldn't help but think there's a spot where they spend like two weeks in the mouth of a volcano, just in a tent, and you just got to imagine that they were fucking so hard <laughs> in that tent, <laughs> just raw dogging it next to this volcano. <laughs> but also, it has this this Miranda July's. Narration, which only made me think of Shogun Assassin. You know the kids' narration in Shogun Assassin? It is exactly what Miranda July is doing. It is this whimsical, soft, 
dude, Sarah Dursa is a phenomenal director. This documentary uh, bangs so hard. Uh, what do you think about it? Amazing. And her voice, like the narration, is just almost ASMR-like um, in the way it's kind of soft, gentle, monotone, but whispery. You almost feel like it's she's reading a poem. Um, it feels like a bedtime story. It does feel like a bedtime story and, and kind of not one with a happy ending, but one that kind of is still a love story. But it's kind of a beautiful ending in a, in a way because how else would those people have wanted to go? Like what's 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 the best option that you have in, in, a, in a lifetime I'm relationship, I'm right? I'm actually watching this thing like five, ten minutes in and at the start they're like, you know, they love them, each other, they love volcanoes, they do this as their passion, their life, their their work and that they you know in 1991 they they perish on this volcano and never see the scene again like they you know in my mind i'm like they died doing what they love I'm like fuck if i died doing what i love it'd be just on the couch playing video games how yeah, fucking sad exactly. um but i mean for for, that, for, that for snapped a, out of that pretty quickly as a love story though like for two people like the best case scenario you can have is you meet someone you love them you stay together all your life you spend 60 70 years together and then one of you dies that's like best case scenario that you can hope for in life. And these people somehow like managed to work it. So they both went same time doing exactly what they loved. It's super romantic, tragic, sad, sure, but super romantic. There's like a through line here where they're kind of like, they, it made me almost think about like Twister and, um, you know, the, the people that kind of, run towards danger, right? They run towards the tornado or, you know, there's an eruption here. These 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 guys here, they're running towards the volcano. Okay. And then um, there's a the moment there where they have like a close call because there's, you know, the educational part is like about the, the red volcanoes and the grey volcanoes and, you know, one's beautiful to look at and one can get up close and the other one's like danger and unpredictable and kind of like they have this almost epiphany moment where like maybe we shouldn't be too kind of, uh, you know, carefree and, and going forward and like from that moment on it kind of all changes but um just to see that they knew like there was a responsibility of the work that they did to relay that relay that information because other people were dying because governments weren't taking them seriously yeah and it was almost like it had evolved past their their love for each other and then their love for vo- like for volcanoes and studying them almost to something like greater and this higher thing where like and now we have like a, a due care and our responsibility and oh just that was that was a through line and there was a quote in there there's one quote that I love it, it was I chucked in my letterbox review um curio- what is it curiosity uh, outweighs fear or something like that and there, was, mm. there was a line in there that um as soon as like as soon as it it came up I was like holy shit curiosity is stronger than fear I was like man that's that's just this whole film yeah it's it's unbelievable i seen that uh i actually went and seen that at new, new farm, farm. Yeah. it was uh quite the experience dude so good gorgeous movie so there you go the top 10 countdown has started and uh number 10 is fire of love it is currently streaming on disney plus for the people that want to check it out it is gorgeous and uh all the other things that we just spoke about it it is that as well check it out um number nine this is one that is on both of our lists this just fell out of my top 10 uh it's in number 12 and for you paul um number 10 there you go like uh 
I haven't put the numbers here. So <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm you're counting. Ca- I'm, ca- I'm basically counting. <laughs> real time counting. Yeah, real time counting because we are a professional podcast. <laughs> um, back to our roots. Uh, this is Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans on 12 points, coming in at number nine. A coming of age story about a young man's discovery of a shattering family secret and exploration of the power of movies to help us see the truth about each other and ourselves. Steven Spielberg. Uh, basically, the second film on this list that's basically. Autobiography. A director's... Director's... Yeah, about a director's childhood. Childhood. Um, this one's actually nominated for seven Oscars, including Best Picture, Best Director, um, you know, Best Lead Actress for Michelle Williams, Best Supporting Actress for Judd Hirsch, which didn't make sense because, well, personally for me, I don't think he, he wasn't in the film. He's almost had the same screen time or less than what Anthony Hopkins had in Armageddon Time, but whatever. Uh, Best Original Screenplay... Best production design, best original score from John Williams, The Fablemans. Like, <clears throat> you've studied film, you create short films, a filmmaker making a film about becoming a filmmaker and what inspired him to be a filmmaker. So, this is your wet dream, right? Well, I guess the idea that, that uh, filmmakers doing that can sometimes feel a bit trite, you know, like, and a bit uh, self aggrandizing <laughs> and self indulgent. Um, but when it's Steven fucking Spielberg and he's directing the shit out of this movie, then who cares, man? Because he's just good at what he does. He's just he's just one of the best. Like he's one of the old masters. He's he, the stuff he does setups where he has he has a one that goes from a you know a mid shot to a close up back to a different mid shot. Just like stuff that's super difficult and uh, you know he's a master of his craft. Uh, it's it's a good film. It's an interesting story. I know why he waited for his parents to die before he made it because it's obviously very personal and he didn't want his dad to see a movie where Seth Rogen was like, fuck your mom. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, it's pretty good. There's a couple scenes that Spielberg always has a tendency to go a little bit schmaltzy in, in, in some of his work. Um, you know, the stuff about the bully being like, you made me look good. I hate you for it. Uh, kind of like, all right, yeah, I get it. Like, I get it. You, you got to wrap it up, but... Um, it's good, man. Yeah, it's fantastic. And just kind of one of the best things about this was like him as a child making his first films and kind of the, uh, I guess, just making that happen as a, as a kid and seeing his passion. Yeah. Like that, yeah. that's kind of like something that definitely spoke to me yeah. <laughs> a bit. Um, yeah. Yeah, you can, it's... He obviously has he obviously has a lot of like ingenuity as a filmmaker, but uh, seeing that as a kid, like the stuff that he did with the boards hidden under the sand, and when they would step on them, it would kick up. It's just like cool stuff like that, which is like if you're a film nerd, you're like, "Fuck, that's so dope." Yeah, 100%. so that was yeah number nine, The Fablemans. Uh, number eight. This movie is got the most Oscar nominations. For this year's Oscar, 11 in total. Um, best picture, best directors, fucking the whole cast got nominated, basically. Uh, it's everything, everywhere, all at once. On 18 points from, from us. Uh, an aging Chinese immigrant is swept up in an insane adventure where she alone can save what's important to her by connecting with the lives she could have led in other universes. Michelle Yeoh, uh, Ki Hu Kwan... Stephanie Shu, Jamie Lee Curtis, man, what an absolute trip. Um, this was number 10 on my list and it was number six on your list. So mm-hmm. yeah. 
number 10 on your list. Where, where's it fall on the star rating, on the letterbook star rating for you? Uh, Do you know that off by heart? Four and a half. Just four and a half. Four and a half. Yeah. And it was still not... Gee. I think all your my, list is chock a block. I, I think all my lists. All, all is my, it all five stars? They're in, all four and a halfs and fives coming up. Okay, all right, I see. I probably should have gave out more five stars this year. I think I only gave one. Just <laughs> my number one film. Um, it's all right. That's your hard marker. That's fine. I don't think I am a hard marker though. But yeah, maybe this this year I. I, may, I think maybe you. Are. <laughs> I probably am. Um, stop using the half scale, buddy. Uh, but this was fantastic, and this this coming out kind of around the same time as like Doctor Strange, and having this be the multiverse film in, instead of that. Um, I think it came out before. I had heard nothing about this movie except kind of like Twitter swell about like go see this film. And it was a random Monday or or a Sunday, and I'm like, oh, this this is out of one of the movies. Um, all right, I'll just I'll just go see this on my own and. Uh, Went in with like no trailer, no nothing, just hearing like this is the movie, go see it as soon as it comes out. My like, article, right, cool. and yeah, it just blew me away. Um, yeah, fantastic, fantastic performances, amazing storyline, and just it is just batshit crazy. How else can you describe it? Yeah, I think uh, it's really good. It was hearing about this movie was kind of like that scene in uh, Stand by Me when they're like crossing the 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 bridge of the train and like burr, 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 and then you just like look oh shit something's coming <laughs> you know? the, the yeah like <laughs> what the fuck is that you check film twitter and it's just like all these jokes you don't get yet um no it's good i think dude i think the script for that is so tight like it just hits it just sets up all these emotional beats in between all this craziness and just like boom hits them off bang 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 just sets them up it's such good film writing and yeah, like the directing's good, the performances are, are great. Um, Michelle Yeoh is fantastic. Uh, the idea that that could have been Jackie Chan interests me greatly. I would have liked to have seen that version. I would have liked to have seen the multiverse version of that with Jackie Chan. But like the movie that it is, it's uh, it's pretty sick. It's very good. It's very good. Uh, like the influences of the Matrix. Obviously, it, yes. t- it takes so much from the Matrix. Dildo scenes, uh, r- the the Rata, Ratatouille, thing. Ratatouille references. Oh my god! I mean, yeah, it's it's uh, it's fantastic, and it's good to see Michelle Yeoh get her sort of like her yeah. swan song yeah, or whatever, because she uh, she's she's done amazing stuff, like the sort of stunts. You know, we talk about like Jackie Chan being like the guy who does amazing stunts. Like she is also someone who's done. Amazing stuff. She drove a dirt bike onto a moving train. <laughs> like, for real. They just did it. They're just like, well, this is, you know, it's in the script. We've got to do it, man. Yeah, we don't know how else to do we, it. There's no other way. We either do it or we don't. It's, what are we going to do? Uh, no, yeah, she's fantastic. And, like, for kind of key to kind of have that, that comeback. That's... That whole narrative was huge. I hadn't, like, I've never seen the Goonies. I've, um, I've seen Temple of Doom, obviously, but it's not mm. it's not up there when I think of Indiana Jones movies. Um, so yeah, I wasn't really aware of like watching that film. I wasn't really aware of who he was or what his history was. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I had no idea. But he is fantastic in it. Yeah, he's very good. He gives a very very tender performance. Mm. Very good. Um, a few other things that I found amazing were that like just reading up the, the visual effects for the team was like done by nine people, including the two directors and that none of them kind of 
you how to do that at all and they only learned by like googling and you look at the effects of something that like they have versus other films with millions and whatever mm. budget uh, you know rung by big mouse shaped <laughs> corporate behemoth yeah uh, yep yep uh, but wild. that's that's I feel like that's the truth of all like uh, all kind of filmmaking like restoring restoring money at a problem is is, is never 100%. been the way it's restraint creates innovation yeah and it's uh, yeah having having respect for the craft instead of just being like well we'll get a million people to do it and it'll be fine yeah 100% um Pretty cool. Uh, grossed over $100 million worldwide, surpassing, surpassing Uncut Gems to become A24's highest grossing film domestically. Um, and that was one that dropped on Netflix as well. So that's kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, internationally. Uh, in an interview, Daniel Kwan, he described the release of the animated film Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which also deals with multiverse concept as a little upsetting because we were like, oh shit, everyone's going to beat us to this thing we've been working on. He also stated watching the second season of Rick and Morty was really painful. I was like, they've already done all the ideas we thought were original. It was a f- really frustrating experience. So I stopped watching Rick and Morty while we were writing this project. Uh, well done. He, he stopped at the right time then. Got off the train. Got yeah. off the train at the right time. <clears throat> Yikes. Um, but yeah, fantastic film. It's the multiverse film of the year. Yeah. Great movie. You reckon it's going to win the Oscars? Like 11 nominations, most nominations. Yeah. Um, I think best directors, they're probably going to give it to big old Stevie. Um, best picture, maybe? But maybe not. Our very non-committal. <laughs> uh, number seven. This uh, scores 19 points. It is on both of our lists. It is my number two on my list. And it is somewhere on your list. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's on there. It's on there. 12? 11? 13? It's 13th on your list, Paul. There you go. So there you go. I'm giving it the lion's share of the points. Um, this is uh, Martin Madonna. Banshees of Inishirin. Now, two life one friends find themselves at an impasse when one abruptly ends their relationship with alarming consequences for both of them. Uh, nominated for eight Oscar nominations, including Best Picture, Best Director, and a bunch of um, acting ones and screenplay ones as well. Colin Farrell, Brennan Gleeson, uh, Kerry Condon, and Barry Keegan. There you go. Um, Ireland's taken over, right? Yeah, it's having a big year. It's having uh, a big year. Even in international... Um, the Quiet Girl film with Quiet Girl, mm. which I haven't seen. I really want to see, but yeah, Banshees of Inisherin and just like once again, this was a first night of Biff. Yeah, I think for us, opening night, opening night. God, this just broke me. Um, it broke you. Yeah, it, it just just the whole breakdown of like lifelong friends for kind of no reason. Mm-hmm. Um, not that it's anything like poignant that could happen or has happened for me that like brought up anything, but just the idea of like someone just not liking you for some reason and also that kind of moment in life where you start to question what is your purpose why are you here are you just killing time and kind of having that represented in Colin Fowles character kind of just like he's small talk right there's nothing simulating he's not leaving anything behind Mm -hmm. and then Gleason's character like what the fuck is this? What are we doing? I can't just... Mm. Just going through the motions, okay? There's like some, there's going to be something bigger here. I want to leave something yeah. behind. Yeah. Um, I just loved all of that. Kind of almost the... 
the the parallels with kind of what's happening on the mainland um, with the the war as well, and kind of question what's the, what's the point of it all? What's it all worth? So, fantastic performances from everyone. Oh uh, yeah, I, that's that was fantastic. I thought it was uh, it was a nice little it silly good. film. It was a nice silly film. Nice silly film. I thought it was yeah, it was good. It's funny. I, I yeah, it was it was alright. It's just this <laughs> couple guys on an island. One of them is probably a little depressed, uh, and he doesn't want to be friends with Colin Farrell anymore. I get it. You get that? You didn't like him earlier? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. It's weird because I didn't like In Bruges, and I, 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 you didn't like In Bruges. I don't like In Bruges. I don't think it's good. <laughs> All right, that is a hot take. That is a hot take. Right? We don't have time to break that down. That's. Just... I like Three Billboards. See, I think Three Billboards is the weaker one. I think In Bruges is nah. much better. Maybe I'll have to watch it again, but now that you like Colin Farrell, now that I like Colin Farrell, but yeah, maybe that's one of the things that maybe hate Colin Farrell. That and SWAT. How did In Bruges make you hate Colin? It's like one of his best, like two thousand performances. Miami Vice too, man. That did some bad things as well. (sighs) Saying a lot of big (laughs) things, man. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. (laughs) The dialogue in that movie is fucking terrible, and and you can't hear anything. It's like the epitome of. Starlight of substance, whatever, or style as substance. Um, so yeah, number seven, <laughs> we won't go on a rant or a tangent. Um, number six, this is on both of our lists. Mm-hmm. Um, this is ninth on your list, and this is fourth on my list. It is Park Chan Wook's decision to leave, and holy shit. Um, Hey June, a seasoned detective investigates suspicion death of a man on a mountaintop. Soon he begins to suspect Sayray, the deceased's wife, while being unsettled by his attraction to her. Man, I just saw Old Boy for the first time with you last yep. year in yep. cinema for its 4K release restoration, and now I'm seeing this decision to leave, and it's just hitting hitting all the beats, hitting all the beats for me. And I've got a few lined up of his, the rest of the the Vengeance trilogy. Thirst, I'm a big vampire fan. Yeah, just the you know, yep. watching that as a trail on the themes. Um, God, this guy might have the potential to become one of my favorite directors uh, if <laughs> uh, these other movies hit. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so so. He's good, dude. Uh, he's very good. He yeah. he will be one of your favorite directors if you watch Handmaiden. Yeah, Handmaiden. If you watch Handmaiden, you'll be. It's over. You watch Handmaiden, watch Handmaiden, Old Boy, and Decision Leave. I think Decision Leave is one of his weaker films. Mm. That's why it's not so high on the list. It's uh, superbly directed. Like we were talking about Spielberg before, is just a master of his craft. I think this got snubbed at the Oscars. Oh, international feature, yeah. cinematography, dude, uh, potentially directing as well. They do it every year. They fuck up. They do it every year. They do it every year. There's like always something. They just like guess not. And you're like, what the fuck are you talking? They they do it every year. You can go back through every year of the Oscars and be like, what the fuck were you thinking? Forrest Gump over Pulp Fiction? Are you out of your fucking mind? <laughs> I've never let that. Not, I can't let that go. I was three, and I can't let that go. <laughs> uh, Decision Lee is very good. He's he's the shots in the interrogation room where it's so pulling good. focus, and then they're both in focus, and the reflections in focus, and my mind's going. Because how the fuck do you... I don't know how you do that. We were trying to set up cameras before. Do you know how difficult that fucking would have been, buddy? In defense, that was a webcam. <laughs> Two webcams alternating between here. But 
I guess the reason it hits that beat for me, once again, one of my favorite genres, uh, detective, noir, mm-hmm. um, that kind of vibe. So it's like he's taken a noir and the way it's told and like kind of the femme fatale and the relationship that they both have or don't have through you know, physical and non-physical, non-verbal and non-verbal things that what's said or what's not said. Um, it's just... Yeah, how did you do that? How did you make me feel that without not explicitly? Yeah, but I'm telling you, he's good at what he does. Yeah, he's, I, he's, he's I very loved, good. Loved every bit of it, and um, God, that last shot. Yeah, that stuff. I guess I've only seen it once, uh, but that stuff sort of, you know, she starts on the mountain and he's down below, and then that sort of changes, and that's super interesting. Uh, what that's trying to say, like their relationship, sort of. Yeah, it is this sort of weird thing that you're not 100% sure um, how much of it is, you know, lived in or, or I don't want to say real, but how much of it is genuine or what's really felt or what's not. It's mm. it's a good movie there. I, I felt like it was like the relationship was genuinely felt, um, not just her manipulation. Right, yeah, on, yeah. On her side. Yeah. Based on... On what happens. On what happens. But yeah. Good movie. good movie. Yeah. That's all I'm saying this whole podcast. Good movie. It's a good movie. That's a great podcast. That's all we do. That's all we do. We came in here. Fuck all notes. Uh, that's that's what happens. <laughs> Haven't done a podcast in gazoon years. Um, number five. It is on both of our lists. It is number five on my list. And uh, it is number eight on your list. Uh, with 21 points. You want to take the lead on this one? Or you want to... Top Gun Maverick. Holy shit. That's all I'm going to say. I've been waiting for this movie so long and the pandemic fucked me over. Well, it's, sorry, fucked plenty of people over. But, well, uh, yeah, you know, so it's more important things. Some people might have got it worse. Yeah, uh. <laughs> but um, just the idea that this movie kept getting delayed. Uh, I love the original... Top Gun, it released in the year of my birth. I, I grew up with that in pop. They mm-hmm. love Tom Cruise. I love Tom Cruise. I don't think he's in a bad film. I haven't seen the Mummy reboot, so you know. Well, <laughs> well, so from, right. from what I know, he's not in a bad, <laughs> bad, bad, bad film. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of forgiving what he is outside of, outside of being, you know, the roles that he plays and some you know, all that Scientology bullshit. This guy just loves acting. He loves film he has that passion and that kind of shows through in every single one of his performances and it i think it's shown through the most here um not just in the performance but the the way he kind of forces <laughs> forces everyone to like jump on board and like okay as little as green screen as possible everyone's doing the training everyone's doing it like he's he's got that come with me attitude like mm-hmm. This is going to be yeah. epic. I, I have a death wish and I'd like you to follow me. I know, yeah, and you also have a death wish. <laughs> um, I never thought that a sequel to a 1980s movie, you know, 30 plus years later, could be this good. It like wipes the original hands down. Like, I think the original is good. I'd say through a rose tinted glasses, I think it's great. And I love it, okay. and growing up with it. Yeah, um, this is generally fantastic in every sense of the word. This, this is the blockbuster. Like I saw this in in cinemas, and 
this made me realize like okay we haven't been eaten we haven't been eaten right and, we, and now we're eating like we, we're we're getting fine it's, a, fu- it's right a full now. meal it's a full meal and it and even to a degree avatar i would say this year on a technical level embarrassed the last three four years of like massive mainline blockbusters and obviously they're predominantly disney and marvel like that's that's what we're getting right but this just to see the re- the return of the blockbuster that's not a comic book film in this vein and it for it to knock it out of the park on every every level um script i think performances the casting like you care about the other pilots as well the soundtrack i'm a lady gaga stan um i think the one republic track is is fantastic as well over the uh the, the beach the beach football scene which is you know is one of the scenes of the year um <laughs> Yeah, just just everything, and it crescendos to a point where, once again, it could have just fizzled out. Like, all right, the nostalgia has hit. Like, Valkyrie was in it. You opening with the same the same soundtrack and, and the same edit, not even like re re recorded because Tom Cruise didn't want to use a re record of Danger Zone uh, or the Top Gun theme. This opening monologue, the on the aircraft carrier, the fucking the sun's going down. It, it looks beautiful, but that it could have been like milked so much but i feel like it just hit the right amount of nostalgia and then built on top of that and then it went to another level again so yeah i i love top gun specifically that last 30 to 40 minutes it blows out of the water and john ham's in it too and he's fantastic john ham's in it yeah it's good it's really good uh it's you know what i think it is i think it's just like it's not doing anything amazing it's just solid fundamentals like Here's a good script. It's tight. Everybody gets a little arc. The main character's got his arc. We stick to that. We hit these beats. We set up all these dominoes. We come through at the end and we boom, hit them all off. And you feel great walking out of the cinema. It's it's good. It's beautifully shot. I love that shot on uh, the beach and the bar is behind them out of focus. Yep. And uh, that's that's really something. That show was really something. I thought that was quite beautiful. Uh, it, it's interesting because Tom Cruise is finally in a film where he's allowed, well, where he's kind of uh, coming to terms with the fact that he is old. He's aging. He's not the he's not the young gun anymore. He's not the Top Gun anymore. He's not the Top Gun he's anymore. He's the instructor at Top Gun. Exactly. Uh, I think um, I don't. I've, I watched uh, the first Top Gun in preparation for seeing this when I watched it at the cinemas. Uh, Uh, yeah, sorry. If you're watching the video, you'll understand. But like, if you uh, listen to the audio, uh, uh, two and a half stars. Oof. Yeah, I just, four stars, bro. There's just there was just nothing. There's just nothing in there for me. It's just a lot of, just a lot of Tom Cruise sweatily uh, doing stuff. I don't know. It just didn't. I like the homoerotic uh, sub, you know, sub subtext. It's kind of like the through line of it is the through line of that movie. It's great. Yeah, you, Thanks, that, that movie is very. It, it is very. Um, they, like, they got the whole. They want to burn each. There's nothing wrong with that. They should be allowed. They can. They can burn each other if they want to burn each other. There's, we just never see it. I'm pretty sure they would have. They have to. Because in between, how long, how long is the Top Gun camp? You reckon? Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's like well, yeah. Of course, they're banging each other. Um, that goes without saying. And you know, he's not with the same lady from the first film. So obviously, because yeah, she found out he's gay. Yeah, his relationship with Valkyrie got in the way, and they're like, "Look, we we're going our separate ways, but we'll be lifelong friends." One of those really 
beautiful relationships you have in your younger years that sort of like you know is great and teaches you about yourself and then you have to like let it go but just keep in contact and it's warm how good <laughs> no top gun is it's very good i had no interest in it really didn't like the first one i was like I guess I'll go see it. Uh, it's really good. Have you seen it before that? Had I seen the first Top Gun? Yeah. No. Mm. Okay. I, I put it on. I was like, I'm going to go watch Top Gun Maverick. I'm yep. going to go see it. It's getting rave reviews. I want to see it. Um, people... See, I grew up with it, so maybe that's why I have more of an affinity. For probably. It. Probably. I watched it and I was like, ah, yeah, it's doing nothing it for me. It's part of the like, five weeklies for $5 type thing. Yeah, it's, go it's, get what you want. My my dad really likes that movie, but it's it's never it's such a dad movie. It is a such dad movie, and this is such a dad movie too. This too, I was like, this th- is like there will be any dad in the audience. There are dads is taking locked their sons in. that are now dads to this movie. Yeah, I, I was like, I made an important note to like observe who was in the cinema when I went there, and there's like the the age gap was easily like. There's a lot of there was a lot of older people there, like sixty. It's just fathers and sons. Yeah, it's fathers and sons bonding. Yeah, bond, bonding at the cinema. Um, yeah, it was everyone. It was like young people, uh, old people. Like this, this, this as a mark. Like this is like the perfect equilibrium of like being for everyone. What you th- what you th- what do you think about Cruz getting snubbed? For what? Best actor. I don't think he was snubbed. I, I you don't think he was snubbed? You don't think no, he deserved best actor? I think he put actor? a great performance in, but um, you don't think he should get? He should have been nominated for one of those. You know, you know, like Pacino when Pacino won for Sen of Sen of a Woman, and they're like, ah. "We didn't give him one for The Godfather yeah, or Dog yeah, Day yeah. Afternoon or like." No, I don't think so. Do I think he's an Oscar-worthy actor? I, yeah, I, I do. I, I actually do. Mm-hmm. But a lot of his roles are. You see that meme on Twitter right now, like name of you know name performance where great performance where a male is not yelling. Like the Tom Cruise is yelling in a lot of his movies. Yeah, and there some he's great, but that's that's a lot of his roles. Like he's like a. Well, he how became, many times has he been a lawyer? <laughs> well, he he's he sort of became action man after at a certain point, and has been that for like twenty years. So he's, now he's running man, yeah, running everywhere, yeah, he's, away from explosions into explosions. He runs, he shoots, he fucking jumps on things, jumps, jumps on things, things, jumps off things. Yeah, does his own stunts. Yeah. Um, I thought maybe they would give him a nomination, like a a legacy nomination, not like a you know. Just a nomination. Just give him one. Just give him a little. Yeah, a he's little not, not going to win over Austin Butler or. Uh, yeah. Oh, you think Colin Austin Butler. Butler's going to win? I don't. Are we getting into this? Fuck, are we going to have a tangent? Where are we? Where are we time wise? All right. Yeah, we're in a half hour. It was sitting, it was sitting <laughs> pretty. Um, we'll talk about it at the end, maybe. Okay. All right. Yeah, let's do that. Because Elvis is not on this list. Um, <clears throat> spoilers. Spoilers for coming up. Now, the next next one's huge. If my mouse wants to... <laughs> what is my mouse doing here? Stop it. Next one's huge, Paul, because it is your number one film. Uh, it is number nine on my list. I only saw it at Biff with you. You've seen it multiple times since then. I feel like if I'd seen it another time since then, maybe it has the potential to go higher. Um, especially, once again, what I was talking about before, like all the kind of discourse and all the clips that i've seen and, and just revisiting it and reading about mm-hmm. it and just all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff uh, i feel like i saw it at the wrong time um when biff i feel like something didn't so it, it hit but it yeah. didn't hit like it should have so it, it was my most <clears throat> look forward to like it was <clears throat> it was the reason i wanted to go to biff i wanted to see this film early yeah um i feel like that was for so many 
I remember we this movie ended and we sat there in this the entire packed cinema, small cinema in New Farm, but packed, so full. I think there was like I don't think I had an empty seat. You sit in the aisle. I didn't have an empty seat next to me. Um, and it ended. And instead of everybody getting up to leave, everybody just sat there in like the real quiet in the dark as the credits rolled. And that's like like nobody dared to move for so long. I was just sort of like thinking about it. And it we felt were like sitting an eternity. There. It did because I was like, I really fucking want to go home. <laughs> <laughs> and you and me were like, oh, is, it okay to, is it okay to go yet? I don't know if we can go yet. Um, dude, this is probably one of the strongest directorial debuts I've ever seen. Charlotte Wells is a phenomenal talent. Um, it is one of the best directed most like sure-headed movies I've seen from like a person doing it for the first time. It is up there with like with me for me personally. If we're talking impressive debuts, it's like Reservoir Dogs. It comes out of the gate like fully formed. It's this beautifully haunting movie. Uh, Paul Mescal gives this fucking phenomenal performance, like this powerhouse performance, dude. And it's he even as his character sort of slowly drifts into. A ghost, really. He becomes a memory in this movie, and we stop really seeing him as much as watching him being reflected in surfaces and in a develop a photo that's developing. And it's just like, dude, I, I can't uh, form the words to tell you how good this movie is. It's uh, from top to bottom. It's beautifully shot on like Kodak thirty-five uh, millimeter. Looks gorgeous. Its pacing is a little slow, but it's like it's so confident in doing that, like that opening shot where you're, well, not the opening shot, but in the opening sequence where they're in, finally in the hotel room and it's dark and he's outside having a cigarette and it sort of just pans from her sleeping, uh, Frankie Corsio, over to Paul Mescal and he's outside on the balcony smoking and it just, it just holds that shot for so long and it's quiet and there's no music and as soon as we were sitting there watching that, I was like, Dude, this is going to be fucking fantastic. Yeah, so obviously we're talking about After Sun, Charlotte Wells' directorial debut starring Paul Mescal and Frankie Corio. Of course, Paul Mescal got nominated for an Oscar as well as Best Actor, deservedly so, or Best Supporting Actor? Best Actor. Best Actor. Uh, best Lead. Best Lead. Best Lead. That's his first lead performance in the film. Crazy, 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 uh, crazy. And the man is good. Yeah, and I, and I once again, you're talking about that opening shot and like, I throw it back to almost the... It's just—it's always my reference point to this because it's just one of those things I have in my mind. But Vince Gilligan um, from Breaking Bad, like flying, just flying the wall. Mm-hmm. Obviously, usually there's more people in focus, but I had that same kind of thing. Like I felt like you feel like you're in the room, yes, right? and you're not watching a, a scene in in a film. Um, you've like I don't know how many family holidays you've been on as as a younger person, but like everything that's happening there, like meeting like random kids on yeah, holidays it's, it's, and those interactions it is perfect um, in that way yeah where you're getting dragged along to kind of like the dinners out or the, the social things yeah. at, in the nighttime that maybe like you don't want to do you just want to wake up and go to the pool or go to the yeah. beach or walk around the resort for you know do whatever you want to do there but um like it's it's so genuine most likely because well it's based off her life yeah you it's something that so many people can relate to. Like I, you've been on that holiday, you've lived at the thing. Now the other experience about like how, <laughs> what's, what's happening in the background, um, obviously not going to resonate for everyone because I've had an experience, but even as an adult, 
and your own personal feelings and maybe seeing yourself in Meskel's character as, as the dad and, and kind of you've seen that in friends or you've seen that in family members. And yeah. You've seen that in yourself or yeah, his, just, his performance is powerful. Um, mm. That shot of him at night, like picking up the used cigarette, smoking it and just like walking into the sea. That's my, that is outside of like phenomenal. outside of the end shot with the, um, the undepressed dance yeah. thing. That was that walk into the, the beach is like, like that that took the yes that took the air out of me like that was the whole like oh okay shit. I think it took the air out of the room when we were watching it in the cinema because there's there is not a lot of music in this movie and when it is used it's used like phenomenally effectively uh, but that scene I think plays out to almost like just the sound of the crashing waves of the ocean and it's so dark that he sort of just you don't see him sort of enter the water you just see him sort of disappear into the darkness towards like the sound of these waves and the cinema was just like. Yeah, it's, it felt like everyone was just like <gasps> just waiting to see the to see the outcome of that scene. Um, yeah, man, I can't, after Sunday, uh, it knocked me off my feet. I don't think after that it kind of tempered everything else that we watched at Biff for me because I was like, oh shit, this is like this is big. This is a big picture. This is a big movie. Like big swings from a director, first time director. Like just it's just amazing to watch. Um, yeah, so you weren't super hot on it? Yeah, I was I, I liked it, and yeah. I knew it was good. Yeah. But it didn't hit me emotionally as much as, like, as a whole, mm. on reflection at the end, as, as much as individual moments did. Yeah. So, um, it's probably the one out of my list, uh, of my top ten that I want to revisit the most. Um, barring maybe one that's coming up soon. Um. But yeah, I think it's the one I I have the most intrigue in. Yeah, in rewatching. It's like yeah, it's I watched that movie and I came out of it. But I'm worried about rewatching it as well. That you might not like no, it more. That uh, you might like no. it less. No, no, I don't think so. Like just the kind of the oh, subject, but just the dealing with that and, again and dealing with that, um, almost in the way that like rewatching Close. Is. I'll tell I'll tell you it is yeah it is uh, as crushing. I don't like movies that throw up a mirror to me. <laughs> you don't like sad movies. You want. <laughs> You want no, to see no. someone run around with a mask and a knife <laughs> and doing quippy one-liners and, and that I, sort of stuff. I do like sad movies. I just don't like when they hit too close to home. <laughs> They're too good. It's They're too, too sad. Good. I hate too sad. Yeah. Too, <laughs> too sad. Too depressed. Yeah. Too fast. Too furious. Yeah. Um, yeah, I came out of that. That was five stars for me instantly. I have, uh, I have, I've watched it again maybe two times. Um, Dude, it's it's phenomenal. I can't wait to see what else Charlotte Wells does. And I like that Paul Mescal was talking about. He wants to sort of keep working with her, sort of the same way uh, Saoirse Ronan was working with Greta Gerwig. And I thought that was fantastic. I'd love to see them work together more because his performance is uh, so good in that movie. Like it's uh, we were talking about understated performances before, but that one is kind of. Oh, he's hiding everything just below the surface, but it's always there. And it's, it's little moments when he can't afford the rug, and she like has that rebuttal. Like, yeah. Oh. Well, that and she's phenomenal too. Mm. Um, for such a young actor, she, when she's uh singing at the karaoke. Yeah. Oh, dude, heartbreaking. Like you just just get up and sing with her, dude. Just get up, dude. Come on. Uh, and yeah, and you, when I rewatch that scene, you, it's the same feeling. Like even though you know uh, what's going to happen, you're like. Dude, please, like, just get up and sing with her. Uh, yeah, I could talk about After Sun forever. I love that movie. 
Yeah. Number four on our list after Sun, number one in Paul's list individually. Uh, which brings us to the top three. Now, Paul, we um we did a spoiler cast for the movie we're going to talk about, number three here, which is on 25 points. For a long time there, I didn't think anything was going to be able to surpass this from your list because of how big of a fan of this character, of Me this too. franchise. Um, but well, yeah. We were talking before about how like, I start my list at the start of the year. That's right. This was number one with a bullet for a long, long time. Yeah. Until late October, it got dethroned. Uh, it had a stranglehold all year. It did. Um, it was number seven on my list. It was number two on Paul's list, obviously getting beaten by After Sun. This is uh, number three on our top 20 countdown. Uh, this is Matt Reeves, The Batman. Uh, in his second year... Now, the synopsis here, it's Batman. He's fighting crime. But um, the the thing that here is, I guess, the most poignant, it's that in his second year of fighting crime, Batman uncovers corruption in Gotham City that connects to his own family while facing a serial killer known as um, the Riddler. So the big point there is, I guess, the second year and how this is a relatively new Batman in that role and kind of handling that. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of in this film, you see Robert Pattinson, who I think does an amazing job as Batman, but there is no... There is no Batman and no, there is no Bruce Wayne. Whatever's happened to his parents has spiraled into that. Yeah, he, he has. He hasn't he figured out how to separate the Batman. Them. Yeah, yeah. He, there is no like Playboy. He, he hasn't created there is, that there, character. There, there yet. is no Bruce Wayne mask. Yeah, there is just exactly. the Batman yeah. character now. They are all of one and the same. Even when he kind of ventures out to become, um, you know, Bruce Wayne, have that appearance at that funeral, he's like just Batman, but without the suit on. Yeah, he doesn't know. He hasn't figured that part out yet. Like yeah. he's so he's. Actually, well, and I like that because it's super interesting because the actual arc that he has in the movie is figuring out what kind of Batman he's going to be. So being Bruce Wayne is so not even close to his thought process yet because he still doesn't know what he is. He's just started this thing. He doesn't know what it means or what it's supposed to represent yet. And that's a cool theme uh, for the movie because like in the Nolan movies, uh, Bale knows it from the start. Like he knows I'm going to pretend to be this playboy out the front and I'm going to make Batman a symbol for this. And that's what I'm doing. And that's his motivation in those movies. And this one is like, he doesn't know yet. He's just very angry and, um, wants to address that in a very unhealthy way. hundred percent. The thing I love about this is, um, the Gotham, Gotham city in this, I spoke about it in our spoiler cast when we did it. I like Gotham, city feels like a character in this outside of just like some generic city like mm-hmm. no one's set, what set in chicago right filmed in chicago i think the first one was third one uh second one chicago yeah <clears throat> third one new york for some reason i don't know why they changed it <laughs> budgets caps whatever yeah, they just um, wanted that many bridges tax write-offs yeah yeah 100 yeah, yeah. um but this actually feels like gotham more than anything and i think i wrote it in my letterbox review that like how close this is like to David Fincher uh, in every single way. Very the, much so. The, the like it's... Zodiac, obviously, Matt Reeves has spoken in interviews how um, the Zodiac was an inspiration. Yeah. Not the film, but the actual serial killer yeah. as, as an inspiration for the Riddler's character. Uh, he also talks about um, Kurt Cobain being an inspiration for Robert Pattinson's Batman, which mm. I didn't realize until reading a recent interview about that and kind of tying that back to Nirvana being on the soundtrack. It's always rainy in his... Gotham and linking that to kind of like Seattle and that kind of punk 
movement in the early 90s mm. and that um, that whole movement and linking that to Martin Nirvana and everything. So uh, I loved all of that. I loved Gotham as a character. Like It happens in Seven, like the world in Seven. It's always rainy. It's always dark. It's always gloom. There is no hope mm-hmm. uh, in there. And um, I just kind of love that parallel. With Fincher being my favorite director, this was just like a wet dream. Right, um, yeah. Basically. It's... Yeah. um. I think it also does the one thing that like Batman movies have sort of not figured out how to address is like how fucking weird the idea of a guy dressing up in like an old leather suit trying to resemble a bat is like there's those scenes where he is just at the crime scene standing around a bunch of police officers and he's just like gawking at like a dead body and he just looks like the weirdest little freak you've ever seen (laughs) and as he should because he's a guy who dresses up like a bat every night and beats up people um I yeah I it's like uh, you would I think we all thought like after Nolan like that's it that's the definitive that's as good as it gets you know kind of going to reach that level again and then seeing Matt Reeves um, take on it and I I liked it more I I liked the movie more I think it works better as a standalone story but also like yeah the the way that it uh, sort of addresses who he is and and coming to terms with and even like acknowledging the fact that he's it's pretty fucking weird um and also it's got it yeah it feels a lot like fincher but it also feels like a lot like serpico like a 70s like the french connection or like something by freaking it it feels like a, a crime film from that era as well it's so funny because like nolan uh, dark knight um that the parallels like making everyone watch Heat and basically being parallels to Heat long third act. Even this Batman has a third long third act, but seeing what Nolan does really well versus what Matt Reeves does really well in like the Planet of the Apes movies that he's done, like Dawn and War, he like builds really awesome worlds um, and characters and kind of like just throwing that what he does well in that universe into the Batman universe. Like that's just perfect for what that character needs and how he like portrays that and nails it so yeah so good and such a great score as well oh the um, score's su- fantastic surprise that got yeah. s- got kind of snubbed at the oscars uh it only got one oscar nomination um i oh, sorry two best visual effects best makeup and hairstyle i really thought that it should have got best original I... score i don't have the list in front of me to kind of go where what do you bump out what do you bump in? didn't didn't even get best cinematography it's the best, best looking movie. comic book movie since uh, ever, I mean, what what else uh, could compare to it really, visually, you know, the look of it? Uh, yeah, me and the me and the me and the academy have beef. We, we don't get <laughs> well, watch out, Paul's going after the academy. They're trying me every year. Oh, fantastic. Um, which brings us to number two, and uh, number two is another one that uh, is both of our lists. Spoilers: the next couple of movies are uh, most of them are really. Um, but this was number three on my list. This was number three on your list as well, Paul. Mm, mm. Okay. I've been waiting to talk to you about this <laughs> so much because, um, like, well, talk about, tell us about, like, when we seen it a bit, like, your feelings and how you felt about it. And Yeah, so um, scoring 28 out of a possible 32 maximum points, um, this is Todd Field's Tar. Starring Kate Blanchett, uh, it is nominated for six Oscars, including Best Picture, Best Director. Kate um, Blanchett 
for best lead actress, best original screenplay, cinematography, and film editing. <sighs> yeah, so Tara. Last night of Biff. Last night of Biff captivated me because it's three. Like, is it three hours? It's something. It's like, like 160 it's, minutes. Yeah, it's, it's absurd. I saw the running time. I'm like, oh, okay. What's you know, interesting? I always look at the running time. Like, is it going to justify its length? Most films do. Um, every now and then I get one that's like 90 minutes. I'm like, why the fuck was this 90 minutes? This this dumb horror movie that I watch, like, Jesus Christ, this feels so long. I don't understand. It's only 90 minutes. And you get three-hour movies that just kind of like breeze past. I'm like, that could have been 20 minutes more. I want to know what happened. Why did this end it in this country with this thing <laughs> and this reference? Um, awesome. Opening credits, fantastic. Uh, that first scene when Lydia Tar, Kate Blanchett, she's getting interviewed um, by... Post is New York Times something something like that. Something it's like it's something that. very uh, yeah. hidey tidy. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, something hidey tidy. Um, on the stage there, it's like ten to fifteen minutes. Just kind of the, opens the movie with this massive long interview, and um, it tells you everything you need to know about Lydia Tarr as like a person, her motivations, uh, her kind of her ticks, what makes her tick, her kind of the way she presents herself and what she shows to people. Um, and then from there on out, it's just Kate Blanchett's movie, right? Like, um, I think it's fantastic. I think it's this kind of, it's interesting to see uh, this kind of take on Me Too slash cancel culture, but the like the use of power. I think that's more what it is about. Power, it's, it's, right? a, it's a direct uh, thing about yeah, powerful people and powerful people. people abusing yeah, that using abusing that position. power. Yeah, and it's weird because like she's in an industry like being a composer where she uh, it's it's a male dominant industry, and she. I thought that was a really smart move, hundred percent, because it 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 tells us one thing about Lydia Tarr at the start of the movie is that she's not full of shit to get to the level of prestige that she has, where she has like the New Yorker guy. Uh, rattling off all her achievements for like 15 minutes, it lets us know that she's very, very good at what she does. Like that part is immediately addressed and we understand that fully as an audience because she's a woman in this dominated field. She wouldn't have achieved these things or been given the profile that she's been given at this point if she hadn't because she it's obviously a slanted playing field for, for women in that industry. And like for her to get to that position and then uh, be the one that uses her power to kind of keep her position or manipulate people and not just in her that, personal life. That's what makes I think that, that's that's what makes her being a maestro so fucking brilliant because yeah. she is you know, she's playing the orchestras the same way she's playing the people in her life to mm. to for them to play the tunes she wants them to play, for things to happen the way she wants them to happen. Uh, it's it's fucking it's pretty good filmmaking. I, I thought it's awesome, and I, um, it's um, it's. Did you come out of it uh, loving it? I came out of it loving it because I know a few people that we <clears throat> that you kind of knew at Biff. Sort of when we came out of that screening, they were like, "Yeah, I don't need to see that again," or uh, "I don't know, I don't know mm. how I felt." And uh, yeah, I think I came out of that going, "That's amazing," for so many reasons. The fact that. Um, it, it it kind of shows that Lydia Tarr is an artifice, like it's uh she's created herself to be what she she's not really that, and um, 
just that ending, which is like a, it's like a 150 minute setup for a joke, which <laughs> <laughs> is almost like given to you in the in the opening credits. Yeah, because because like, you're watching the under- opening credits, and you're like, what the? What? Why is that? Why is that in there? <laughs> what is that? <laughs> you're like, hold on a second. What is that gonna? That must just be like a throwaway bit. Like halfway through the movie, you'll see like something to do with that, and then you're like. Oh my, when it's leading up to the ending, it's getting to the end of the movie and you haven't thought about it for three hours. And then you start to like, the pieces start to slowly come together in your mind. You're like, oh my God, this is brilliant. Did you like the ending? Yeah, I loved it. I I, I think I laughed out loud in the cinema. (laughs) You did? Uh, It was great, yeah. (laughs) It was was fantastic. Um, I felt like it was good to kind of, yeah, just just see that crumble from... um, from that perspective, like we get so many kind of other movies that show the reverse of it, um, with male dominant, like male power figures. Mm. Uh, but like you said, yeah, Lydia, she's kind of this, yeah, manufactured. Yeah. Yeah. She's created this kind of persona, uh, almost, but then hides her little insecurities or almost like self defense mechanism Mm. kind of to keep her, keep her spot or, justify maybe to herself how good she is because yeah. we know she's good everyone knows she's good but she, like once again she's in this male dominant industry uh where maybe she's like has to do that one point more mm. did you i did you i've only heard about it i didn't read it but did you read about the theory about the last hour being all in her head like no. post post her falling down and getting no, concussion. No, I didn't. Um, yeah, I, I, I really meant to look into that because it struck me as very interesting. Though I like it the way it is. I like looking at yeah, it as, like it. as um, you know. Natural. Yeah. There's some great scenes in that though um, and some weird scenes. Like there's one scene when, like, yeah, the, the, the running and the head thing was interesting. But then also the other one where she's running in the park and she hears the girl scream. Right, yeah, because she's... Like that, the metronome in a house. The, metronome, she's she's haunted by these things, you know. Yeah. And um, I think it's interesting because they're not. Is it's that not. Scre- fully is that screen laid out. real? I don't think so. I think that is. Or is that her guilt? Or is that her subconscious? Okay, so here's the thing: she has her own apartment to go work in because she seems very like um, uh, she's sensitive to noise. And you see, there's a early scene in the movie where she's like, she hears an alarm off. the in the distance and it's like and she starts playing that on piano and you kind of think that oh this might be she might be drawing from that it might be inspiration but then you understand that it's just fucking annoying her her. yeah she's like furious about it and then uh yeah so i think something to do with that sensitivity to noise and the way her guilt for things sort of haunts her through noises Mm. rather than visual stimulus so the metronome uh the scream, the scream, all that sort the of neighbors. stuff, drawing, yeah, drawing her out of her little world, yeah. It's uh, a super densely layered movie that um, I've seen it three times and I think it's fantastic. But I don't, I'm still, I still have so many questions about it. Mm. It feels uh, Kubrickian to me, a little bit like a Kubrick film, which is interesting because obviously Fields was in uh, Eyes Wide Shut. He's the pianist in that movie. Um, but yeah, it feels very Kubrick to me, kind of. Just in its sort of uh, coldness and detachedness to uh, its character. 
It's probably the best way to describe it. It sucks that we're in a year where Michelle Yeoh is like smashing in everything, everything everywhere all at once. And then you get a powerhouse performance from Kate Blanchett in this. But Kate Blanchett's like already won an Oscar. She's got like, a couple. Like, she's won multiple Oscars for supporting and for lead. She's like one of the, you know, of a, a very limited list to be able to do that. And she's got nominations left, right and center. But her performance is like so good. So good. Uh, but see, the thing you're missing here, buddy, is that the Academy sucks at what they do and they always make the wrong decision. So neither one knows? of them will get it. Neither one of them will get it. Uh, it w- it'll be a mute point. It'll be that girl that was like in the film that no one's heard about that got nominated at the end because she pushed it through her act, uh, actor friends. What, what was that? I- <laughs> what? <laughs> what movie is that? I don't know. Like, um, I saw the list the other day. Oh, I didn't. I haven't I, heard about this I, at I, all. I, so, the, should I bring up the list? Sure, yeah. But basically, it was... Um, I saw the list. I had to literally Google my... I never have even heard of this film. Mm. Um, and then I looked it up and then kind of read into it. And it was like massively... Seeing on Twitter, it was like this kind of... Got a lot of celebrities and stuff to kind of to, see it. To... And they started pushing for it. Um, so, come out of nowhere. I'm like, how do I even see this film? Uh, I've never even heard about it, not even in like my film Twitter or social circles or really? that kind of stuff. I'm like, it's just come out of nowhere, which is weird. Mm. And then you've got other actresses that kind of got snubbed or didn't make the cut over this person. So um, yeah, Andrea Riseborough in To Leslie. And I'm like, I've never even heard of this film. I, I haven't heard of that movie like, either. Where does it come from? That's in Best Actress. I'm like, Okay. It's interesting. It's interesting. I yeah. Well, yeah. Could it be the conspiracy theory that film Twitter thinks it is? Maybe. Could it be the Academy just being poor at their job again? <laughs> Could be. Probably. Probably. But yeah. It's Where my money is. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Neither one of them win it. Um. That brings us on to number one, and number one film of the year. Now, this is my number one film of the year. It's got max points. This is your number four film of the year. Uh, it won by one point over Tar, so 29 versus 28, so only just. Um, Tar just didn't quite get there. It is Triangle of Sadness. Holy moly. Guacamole. Um, this could have been, I think this is my favorite movie going experience of last year. Um, yeah. We saw this at Biff. Yep. I think it was last, oh no, second last night. Second last night at Biff. Reading. Newmarket. And. God damn. I went into this. I haven't seen a trailer. I haven't seen anything. Um, do, do you remember like when we were standing in the cinema like, waiting to be, get in and it was like was a waiting delay, for a right? concert? Yeah, it was. There was so many people. It was so loud in the cinema yep. of just people chattering. It was like, I, I don't know, like, uh, yeah, waiting for like uh, the Beatles or something to come out. <laughs> it was fucking crazy. Um, a lot of hype directed by Ruben Oslin, who did, directed The Square in 2017. That was his last project, um, which also, uh, along with Triangle of Sadness, won the Palme d'Or at the Cannes. So he won that last year for Triangle of Sadness. He won in 2017 uh, for The Square. And uh, he's one of only nine or ten directors that have kind of won the Palme d'Or twice. So puts him in high company. He's also now won it back-to-back, um, both with movies that kind of deal with similar themes about kind of class and uh, social hierarchy and, and how people treat each other. But yeah, it's nominated for three uh, three Oscars, uh, Best Picture, Best Director, and a Best Original Screenplay. So, you know, three of the big five, or well, two of the big five, and then uh, the screenplay one as well. But God, this is just... 
So good. And once again, I think this is an element of films that I really like. Um, just kind of self-reflecting like, oh, man, I like a lot of films that have a long third act. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know right. if there's something something to it. Yeah. Um, or maybe I'm just remembering the really the good ones with long third acts and forgetting the bad ones. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just out of nowhere, so 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 good. Uh, the opening portion of this film, I felt like I was watching Seinfeld um, with the with the dialogue. I felt like the whole the bit with the the pay you pay who pays. Once again, I felt like I I I have been seen. Um, not based on that conversation, but based on how I would have conversations about particular things in my life. Right, yeah. You've, it, been, you've been there. Yes, right? yeah. Um, you know, so... Uh, she didn't pay. She didn't pay. She didn't pay. She didn't offer to pay. She didn't offer to pay, Jared. <laughs> um, so, yeah, immediately I'm drawn in. I love this. I don't know where this is going, but it's conversations about nothing for, for no reason. And obviously, contextually and thematically, they'll come up later on yeah. uh, about what type of people these are and, and how... You know how that's kind of the repercussions of the riches actions mm. and how they think. But um, yeah, I immediately I loved it. It's very funny. Uh, it says a lot, and yeah, the whole kind of Seinfeld aspect at, at the start just, just had me had me in bits. Yeah, it, it was great. I love. Yeah, the third act is fantastic. I love. I love all of Woody Harrelson stuff. Just the awesome. com- the American communist uh, against the the Russian capitalist and their trading off quotes. Um, but they don't know the quotes. They're looking them up. It's, (laughs) it's so fucking funny. Um, it's, it's not subtle at all. Like it's not even close to being subtle. Uh, it ends perfectly in my opinion. I I think the only, there's one, it has one extra shot at the end that I would have trimmed off. Um, but it's pretty damn close to perfect. I think, uh, performances, great cinematography. Great. Um, yeah, I don't know what, what else you can really say about that. That, that third act when it sort of becomes Lord of the Flies <laughs> is just uh, so good. The power shift, the power um, shift, also how hilarious it is. Yeah. Um, it, it, it feels like a very, it's a very mean spirited movie. hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's so like, uh, acidic and sharp. Um, yeah. It, when we watched it in the cinemas, uh, it killed. It played like gangbusters, dude. Yeah, yeah. Everyone loved that movie. Yeah. The boat, like just the boat scene. Uh, not a fan of like cheap humor, but the vomiting, like, and the excessive amount of vomiting and the, the amount of times it went, I'm like, this is hitting. And it's just, I didn't think it was going to it hit. It just keeps going. Like, it's like, it's like 10 minutes of just. <laughs> Bodily fluids everywhere. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, man. Woody Woody Harrelson. I really, I was really sad he didn't make it to the island because <laughs> I wanted more of his uh, just this uh, American communist. <laughs> yeah, I think that was my favorite scene. Them going back and forth uh, over the the speaker uh, on the, on the ship, uh, both of them. Yeah, and the characters are just so so, so absurd in it. So yeah, absolutely. It's yeah, perfect ending. Um, the song at the end too, the whole Fred again, uh, Maria, we've lost dancing. I've like that up there with that Mis- Mitski song of a couple of nights ago. Watching Afterbang, <laughs> they're kind of like on repeat now for me. Oh yeah, to kind of like define 
2022. That's 2022. Film for me, like, in a, you know, those are like in a bubble, right there. Yeah, and the Nirvana track from the Batman as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's a great year for uh, music. And Amazing film. year, fantastic year. That's it. Well, there we go. We got through it all 20. So um, yeah, just going through uh, the list to to sum it up. Obviously, you've made it this far. You know what the list is, but we'll do a quick uh, quick rundown. Quick um, so yeah, number uh, number twenty, Glass Onion. Number nineteen, Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Number eighteen, Broker. Number nineteen, uh, number seventeen, Nope. Sixteen, The Northman. Uh, number fifteen, Armageddon Time. Uh, number fourteen, Close. Number thirteen, The Menu. Number twelve, After Yang. Number eleven, Scream. And to round out our top ten films of twenty twenty two, we had Fire of Love. Number ten, The Fablemans. At number nine, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Number eight, seven, The Banshees of Inisherin. Number six, Decision to Leave. Number five, Top Gun Maverick. Number four, After Sun. Robbed. Number three, <laughs> The Batman. Number two, Tar. Uh, and number one, Triangle of Sadness. Just like Paul right now. He is a <laughs> Triangle of Sadness. I always after will be. Getting After Sun robbed from being number one. Well, maybe he won't win best lead. Probably not, but it'll be Fraser's year for sure. You think so? I think so. All right, so we're going to have this little rundown. Yeah, we're going to have to run down quickly. All right, let's uh, do it. We're going to do a little bit Adelaide, but I was speaking before about um, something where we didn't want to jump off into, yeah. um, I think it was perf- performances, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, with Austin Butler and Elvis, of yeah, course. Right. Um, we had some big omissions from our list this year. We obviously don't see them as big omissions because there was two of us and none of us had on our list. So for us, it was the status quo, but we're seeing a lot of um, Oscar nominations and a lot of other people's lists and those movies coming up and um, they didn't make our list. One, I guess it was Avatar. I didn't think I was ever going to make... It wasn't going to make your list? No. Um, do, you, do you know what happened with me with Avatar? I was like, all right, Avatar's coming out. I'm going to have to go see it. Mm-hmm. And then every time I sort of made time to go see it, I reminded myself that it was three hours of... Very tall blue people, and I just I don't care. <laughs> I, I'm I don't, I'm I'm 31 years old. Life is short. I've seen it once. I, I, I get it. It's Cameron doing his best of. Paul's you know? over here, like I'm 31. Life is short. I can't see this three-hour movie. He's like seen Tar three times. He's seen like. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, got, I got I got all the time in the world for Tar. <laughs> He's got all the Tar in the world. I'm, I'm a big Lydia Tar fan, actually. <laughs> I don't care what she's. You'll done. get cancelled, Paul. I don't so care what I follow her on Twitter. I still like her. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Avatar for me, like technically, I think was stunning. Um, put special effects and blockbusters like the Marvel movies to shame with um, how well it. Uh, I'm going to say this in video game terms, runs, especially because <laughs> it's like high frame rate, 48. I actually loved that. Yeah. The comparisons to um, uh, video games, it wasn't really jarring for me. Maybe it's because I play video games and maybe yeah, some maybe. movie scenes, movie goes aren't out the scene. But I feel like the 3D was amazing, and I don't want 3D to come back. But if it was like that it would be bearable um, right. or at best but or the, even better, competent because... It's it, exactly what happened with the first Avatar. Exactly. He did it well and then nobody else did. He did it well did. and then no one else did it well. Like, <laughs> yeah. Quickly, pump them out, you know, just uh, do it in post. Or oh, we can charge more? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. This can be blurry and yeah. fuck your eyes yeah. up. Yeah. Fantastic. We can, sure. sell, we can destroy a whole TV industry for about five, six years. Do you want to watch Do you want to watch Thor except it's really dark and muddy? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Um, Give its kudos for that. Uh, definitely, he had kind of something. He took that personally when people were like, we don't know the name of the character. It, James Sorry. Cameron takes everything personally. Uh, He's a bit of a dick. So they they say the name Jake Sully. So many times. Do they say it so many times? Yeah, Sully or Jake Sully or Jake yeah. Sully. Like You definitely know that's his name. Now, I don't think I'll ever forget it. Um, and then the other thing that I didn't like in the film was like, 
his character almost regressed for me. Like it was he. From what I understand, it's not really uh, his film. It's sort of like his film, but then it sort of like expands a little bit to it be. Does but he, so much of his like ethos of like okay, you know we're invading. We shouldn't be doing this. We're doing the wrong thing. I see their way of life. I want to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. I feel like that just goes completely out the window. Like now I'm treating my kids like a military squad. Um, I'm not really nurturing or whatever. Like I've kind of, yeah, like I said, regressed are going backwards. So yeah. um, Avatar on the list. The other thing that was not on my list was like Elvis. Yeah. So Austin Butler, I think, I actually think he is a great performance as Elvis. Okay. Um, okay. That's the best part of the movie. That's the only thing I liked about the movie. I think he might win the Oscar. Interesting. I think Fraser's a shoe in for the Oscar. Um, I think Elvis. Uh, I think Baz Luhrmann's filmmaking style is too much energy for me to really lock in. It never feels like there's ever a scene going on. It's always a shot. A shot's happening, and then the, someone's talking, and the camera's like zoom. <laughs> you know, and uh, I is is I I thought yeah, the the performance parts in that movie when he's like singing and stuff and that's really good uh that the ending where it like cuts to it sort of makes that cut to archival footage and it's almost it's almost seamless well it's close to seem like it's pretty close it's not it's not perfect but it's close um was pretty good but uh, yeah he, he, the movie sort of didn't know what it wanted to be i think it was like a mess script wise and sort of never slowed down enough for me to get to know who this guy was or, or what his relationships were with people. Yeah. Agreed. Well, I think it's uh what time to wrap it up. Maybe. Yeah. Ra- yeah. Wrap it, wrap it, wrap it, wrap it up, send it off, put a stamp on it. Boom. Send it off. Send it off to the, uh, the complaints board. Why has Lydia Tar Lydia been Tarr. taken from my program? She should be reinstated immediately. I think so too. She's so talented. Yeah. Gifted. Um, Paul, where can the uh, the people find you in your musings? Uh, I am on uh, Twitter at at their recluse. I'm on Letterboxd at the notorious PJB. Um, yeah, I mean, don't waste your time, but you know, if you want to, it's okay. Check Paul out on Letterboxd. Check out those reviews. They they spicy, spicy, spicy reviews. And you write a lot of reviews too. You don't just phone it in and, and log movies as well. Like you don't keep. Stars. Sometimes, you, you sometimes, some sometimes I do. Sometimes I drop a little, I just say some snarky. <laughs> little truth nugget. <laughs> and you can find me over at BuddyWatson12 and at RadioWatson underscore on Twitter, the podcast you can find on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and all good podcast services. That is Radio Watson. I'm streaming on Twitch at Buddy Watson at the moment as well. I uh, had a big year last year. Probably going to be do streaming some more stuff this year as well, and maybe some even live podcasts in the future um but outside of that uh that's it that wraps up uh top 20 films of 2022 um thanks for joining me and then once again on behalf of paul myself buddy watson this is radio watson out Under pressure.